Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, inspecting your gadgets. And a bad rock star from the late 80s, I am Ash Versus. This episode of Gamesville, we think, aired on the 19th of November 2003. FIFA 2004 tops the video game charts like... It's like some things never change. Kylie Minogue is top of the pops with slow, and The Matrix Revolutions is top of the UK box office. Everything that has a beginning has an end. I see the end coming. I see the darkness spreading. I see death. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, welcome back. We missed you. It ends tonight. This is that Matrix film that never happened, isn't it? Yeah, I always get these two muddled up because they've both got, you know, more or less a similar sort of name. And I always then be like, right, which one's Revolutions? Which one's, right, Reload is the second one. Yeah, Revolutions is the third one. Right, cool, grand, got it. And then last year, Resurrection. Exactly, yeah. So they've now added just an extra little bit in there to try and confuse me on which one it is. This is the one I have seen the least of the Matrix movies. First one, saw a bunch of, of course I did. You know, everyone had it on VHS and I watched this a bunch uh, on VHS. So I've seen the first one loads of times. Reloaded, I did go to a midnight screening off uh, with my brother. Very excited for it. It's got terribly bored during the scene with uh, the, the KFC colonel explaining uh, different bits about the plot. Revolutions, I think I have only seen this once 
which means I have not seen this movie for 20 years because I would have seen this at this time frame in the pictures. I can't tell you when I last saw this movie, but I can tell you what I was doing when I saw it because it was in my time working in education and they had the Matrix Trilogy DVD box set in the Media Studies staff room. That is also where the Media Studies server, because they did video production, that's where that server lived because the server was a big old Mac. And that big old Mac had a big old fallover that I had to fix over a weekend. So I was in there, sat in the Media Studies office, and while I was waiting for this thing to rebuild slow as ass, I was just going through their DVD collection. And I'd just finished Fight Club, and I was like, what do I watch next? Let's watch the Matrix trilogy. And I can remember stuff happening in the first one. I think I may have just let it play through a good chunk of the second one while I went into town to get some dinner and then walked back. And I'm fairly certain I was eating pizza in the third. I, just, I have very little memories of the third movie. I, my my wife and I had intended to re-watch the trilogy in the lead-up to Resurrections. And we watched the first one, and I, the first one still holds up. I think the first one's still great. It's a brilliant standalone movie. It should have stayed that way. Absolutely, yeah, with a very, very cool soundtrack. She had no inclination to watch the other two movies following that, so we never did. So I am still sat here, and I've only just realised now, it has been 20 years since I've seen the third entry in this uh, once trilogy, now quadrilogy. A friend of mine, uh, in fact, is actually is a published author who has written a book about the Matrix trilogy and why it is the greatest trilogy of movies ever made, all time, all life. He loves, loves these movies and will not hear a bad word said against them. I'm not going to say a bad word against them. I could. It'd be very easy to. What I will say is greatest... I mean... Back to the Future is right there. Yeah, it's called uh, The Matrix Illuminated. Just wanted to go and quickly double-check what the uh, title of the book was. But you can go find that available on Amazon. I mentioned Back to the Future just then. And the Matrix trilogy does have something in common with Back to the Future in that Back to the Future 2 and 3 filmed back-to-back. The second two Matrix movies also back-to-back. I mean, it did well. It did well at the box office. It didn't get a great reception. But that doesn't matter because The Matrix had its hooks into its audience at that point. And because it still had the momentum of the second movie, it carried it over. I mean, it did, what, over 400 million? I think it was a big old box office return. It did exactly what it needed to do as well. I think you're right. Like it's, you know, the the wave of hysteria from the first Matrix movie certainly helped Reloaded. And even though Reloaded had its critics, uh, most of those critics were it is not as good as the first one and it is not as clever as it thinks it is there was still because this was the end of a trilogy and you know this was like this is the final part of this series so people went out of their way to go and see the final part of this series you know the Wachowskis told those close to them at the time they were making this that this was the end and that if the Matrix was to continue it would continue in the Matrix Online video game which I thought was actually a great idea I was actually a private beta tester. I was part of the private beta. Um, And it it was a perfectly fine game. It was glitchy as all hell because it was a massively multiplayer game in the early to mid-2000s. The internet infrastructure still wasn't quite with it at that point. But that was it. They were just like, yeah, we're done with it. Spin-offs, video games, that's where it can live. And that kept going. They were asked about it in 2015 while promoting Jupiter Ascending. Lily said that a return to the Matrix is a particularly repelling idea in these times. 
Lana, addressing rumours about a reboot, said they'd not heard anything, but she believed that the studio might be looking to replace them. Keanu Reeves, Hugo Weaving, they all said we would only go back to The Matrix if the Wachowskis were involved. Fair enough. 2017, Warner Brothers started the process of developing a relaunch. The Wachowskis were not involved. And then, August 2019, the Wachowskis are involved again and Warner Brothers are producing a new film. It is remarkable as well because that movie is about an evil studio rebooting The Matrix. It's painfully messy, particularly when you look at the history of Matrix 4 and learn that it came from a Matrix reboot. The fact that the movie is then about a studio rebooting The Matrix, it, it is insanely meta. It's amazing that Warner Brothers signed off on it, really, probably not realizing that they're the baddies. Kind of in the same way that, like, they're also the baddies in Space Jam Legacy, and I don't think they realize that they're the baddies in that either. Although I will say, just to clarify, I said Wachowskis were involved in it. It is Wachowski singular because it was produced, co-written and directed by Lana Wachowski. Lily, to the best of my knowledge, stayed the fuck away. My favourite story about The Matrix, particularly the first one anyway, is that Will Smith passed it up because he didn't get it uh, and instead went to go and do Wild Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) And Jean Renault passed up on the movie because he didn't get it and went to go and do 1998's Godzilla instead. Wow. And I think those two stories are the reason why everyone signed on to do Jupiter Ascending because they probably read that script, didn't get it, but thought to themselves, I don't want to be Will Smith in this scenario. I'll do the movie where I'm a human dog, and I'm I'm sure they will make this work. As it turns out, they didn't, because it was all the worst parts of the Super Mario Brothers movie and episode one, The Phantom Menace. It was not a glorious uh, comeback movie, was it? It was not, though. Though, a very fun press screening I went to go and see that at, though, because every single journalist in there was laughing their tits off at how silly that movie was. Ooh, I bet that went down well. It's not the loudest laugh, unintentional laugh I've, I've been to at a press screening. That was when I went to go see uh, the J-Lo erotic thriller, I suppose you would call it, though it isn't really that, The Boy Next Door, when uh, Jennifer Lopez's character as a present is given a copy of the Iliad and she opens up and goes, wow, it's a first edition. Should we talk about Kylie? <laughs> we can talk about Kylie if you'd like. Speaking of cool pop stars. Speaking of cool pop stars, that probably, I mean, I say wouldn't deliver dialogue like that, but... She was in Street Fighter. But hey, she was enjoying quite a renaissance with her career at this point. Uh, This was from her ninth studio album. This is part of the big Kylie comeback that sort of started sort of the early 2000s with... um, uh, can't get you out of my head a song that ironically you cannot get out of your head because it's a bit of a banger and it was just hit after hit after hit after hit for her i mean i listened to this leading up to this and i'm like oh, it's it's okay funnily enough i think i prefer the version she did for the abbey road sessions where she took a bunch of her tracks and like redid them with an orchestra and like like kind of depopified them if you will and i think i preferred that but it's a it's a perfectly good song it went to number one in the UK, it did well overseas, it was played at the Grammy Awards. It's a good song, Luke. It's a good old Kylie song. I'm quite fond of Kylie, and I appreciate the fact that her career 
has lasted a lot longer than any of us would have predicted back in the time of Neighbours. Well, I think as well, you and I have covered a Kylie song when we did a TV show from the 1980s. So it's very nice when we did um, Under Consultation Extra. So it's nice for us to be able to have an episode that we did in the 1980s and now here in 2003. And she's still churning out those pop hits. What was her last release? Yeah, I have no idea. Oh, she's got a new album due out this year. Would you look 22nd at that? 22nd of September 2023, an album called Tension. Well, congratulations, Kylie. Congratulations. I'm sure it will be a um, a great album. Like, that's not even meant with any sarcasm. I'm sure it will be well-received, and if nothing else, her fans will love it and buy it up, and she will continue to be Kylie. So yeah, FIFA 2004 is top of the video game charts. I don't think there's much to say on there other than Yep, it's another FIFA game. And speaking of things, you know, not really changing around these parts, I, you know, look at what else is happening in the TV and music sphere from around this period of time of when we think this episode aired. This is another one of those. It's labeled on YouTube as episode two, uh, which would have meant that it aired on like the 20th of August, but that cannot be possible because there's a news item that's in this episode that happened in November. So we think this is around the time period that this episode airs, as best as we can figure out. Yeah, uh, there's a news article that was definitely broke on one day. They're reviewing and talking about games that are released on another day. And so it kind of makes sense that if they're reporting one and reviewing the other, it sits slap bang in the middle. Yeah, we think that there's a pretty good estimation. Either way, I thought I'd have a look at what else was happening in the TV world around this time. And would you, Adam and Eve, on the 13th of November, we got the British television premiere of Paul Verhoeven's science fiction thriller movie Hollow Man on 5. What comes after Under Consultation 200? Apparently, we're just going to be a Paul Verhoeven podcast at this point. He just, he just keeps cropping up. Paul Verhoeven and Dick Miller. That's what we're <laughs> going to cover exclusively. A couple of other bits, uh, Bob's. On the 21st of August, ITV announced that its Saturday morning children's entertainment series, SMTV Live, will be ending after five years. I thought I'd only bring that up because we mentioned on, I think it was actually the last episode, that Anton Deck were leaving. And on the same day that Friday the 13th Part 3 got its UK TV premiere on ITV1, on 9th of March 2003, Digitizer is published for the final time after 10 years. The magazine is replaced the following day by Game Central, which features less humour favoured by its predecessor. But we're not going to talk much about Digitizer now. If you want to hear more talk about Digitizer, tune in next week. In which case, then, let's talk about Gamesville. So, much Do we like, have to? Much like Gamepad, I am coming to this with very new eyes. Uh, I did not have Sky, therefore I did not see this show. Even when I was going around to my friend's house who did have Sky, they weren't watching this show. Um, so this viewing of this episode and some of the other episodes I, I checked out are my first welcoming into the world of Gamesville. Now, I know there are a few people on our Discord server that were quite excited for this episode to come up because they've got nostalgic love for this because they were probably either young teenagers or young children when this aired. So they've got like, oh, brilliant. I really remember that show. But all of the comments also seem to follow up with, I'm sure it hasn't aged well, but I'm looking forward to the episode nonetheless. You know what? Let, let's tee something up for them. 
We loved it. Gamesville was great. You can stop listening now. Don't worry about the next hour and a half that's going to follow. They gone? Cool. We can continue. Fuck me, this is a mess. Yeah, this is... um. Yeah, man. When I was reading up about like the making of this show and the production of this show, it's like, oh, that's you can see this on screen. I'm I'm pretty certain the Wikipedia was written by someone in production. I don't think it was written by a fan uh, or a documentarian. It really feels like it is written from <laughs> almost a first person perspective. I, I I would not be surprised if the Wikipedia had been written by Jez Wright. No, I I would say that. I mean. Let's just like talk about the concept of the show. So it's a daily show. We've had those before. Uh, Games World, Gamepad, you know, they've all been there for that daily idea. A full hour long, every day. Woo! Yeah, there's 192 episodes of this show over just two years in 2003-2004. 192 episodes. It says a lot when I think it's the Wikipedia itself, like, doesn't it say, like, it suffered from being a daily show? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And so did the audience. Well, this is why I think that the Wikipedia was written by Jez Wright, because this is a direct quote from the Wikipedia. Jez Wright, who was then editor of Lifestyle and Features Department at Shine, was tasked with coming up a format that would produce multiple hours of output per week. The budget was challenging, so it had to be a simple format whereby, to keep costs down, two or three could be recorded in a day. This would ensure the program maintained a considerable profit margin from the production budgets. Oh, you can see every penny that was spent on screen, and that's because they literally spent pennies. Yeah, this next bit from the Wikipedia is evident in this episode that we're going to review here. Uh, the Wikipedia says, The show suffered from being a daily 60-minute production. With only a finite amount of news and reviews to cover each week, items and features were sometimes stretched, and games that never really should have been featured prominently had significant airtime. Scooby-Doo is coming up later. Do you know what my most commonly used phrase was in writing these notes? Middle of the road or middling? Because yeah, virtually every reviews. game, yeah, every game featured was a basically, not even a oh worth a look. It was, it's not a shit game. It's not a great game. It's just a game. It's just a game. It's like every single thing you Google it. Mixed reviews was released to mixed reviews. Was released to mixed reviews. But that's not what Gamesville got, unfortunately. Though um, I, I was even checking out some uh, some old forum posts uh, from around this period of time because the, the Wikipedia <laughs> Me <here> too. Says, <laughs> yeah, because the, the Wikipedia here says reaction to the show was largely negative. And going by some of the forum posts that I read, yeah, it sure was quite negative towards the show. But it wasn't just uh, people watching the show that that did not like it. Some Gamesmaster alum had some thoughts on this show. Uh, notably, one Dominic Diamond, who said when promoting When Games Attack, Gamesville is the equivalent of eating your own shit. The producers must have thought, oh, because we have black people in it, it must be straight. Yeah, and similarly, Johnny Finch was interviewed for Edge. I was trying to find this issue of this magazine online, and sadly it's not in the back catalogue that floats around archive.org and similar. But the exact quote from Johnny is, I have more respect for suicide bombers than I do for the people who are involved with Gamesville. It's all fucking yo, mate. I mean, these guys can't even speak fucking English. Those two quotes are, I mean, we've been reviewing these shows now for the last few weeks since Games Master Ed, but if you ever want to know, oh, I wonder what Dominic Diamond thought of those, uh, thought of Thumb Bandits or thought of Gamepad or thought, I don't think they would have liked any of them. 
because they're talking about eating your own shit, or in the case of Johnny Finch, comparing it to suicide bombers. Has Johnny Finch been talking to that guy from Thumb Bandits, the marketing director, that was just like PlayStation 2 marketing like Al-Qaeda? Clearly, it was the style at the time. I did some digging around, not just on the forums, but I delved back into Usenet. Kids, don't go there. It's a bad place. And essentially, it was full of people going, this is shit. One or two people going, this is great. A handful of people going... I really fancy the gadget girl. And then a lot more people going, no, I prefer Violet Berlin and or other female game related journalist presenters because there were a few others around. We recently added at least one more show to our roster of in-between episodes before we get to the reboot because bloody hell, they're coming out of the woodwork. Even in that Games Master uh, Edge article, I believe it was, um, where we had that Johnny Finch thing, uh, Dom even takes a swipe at Ian Lee talking about how he doesn't think that Ian Lee has got the personality to be presenting video game shows but like the forum reaction to this the the uh, most of the ire i feel was directed at its two hosts jamie and darren with a lot of it being they're well annoying now i'm being very careful here because of course we were the massive proponents of hashtag dex did nothing wrong dexter was just following the character he was being asked to portray and i'm sure these two lads here perfectly nice lads at least one of them by the episode we watched is a competent games player and enjoying his best life living in sweden now so he's having a great time all that being said these two fuckers, i cannot believe something made in 2003 makes me feel old today yeah, I, I did feel very old watching this show. And yeah, I, again, we talk about the hashtag Dex did nothing wrong. Jamie and Darren here are not TV presenters. This was not like the start of more TV presenting gigs for them. It's not even like they did TV presenting gigs, then got this. They were two models that were brought in because they're good looking lads to put up on screen. They've clearly got enough knowledge to pass on through i suppose they're a little bit like booth in bits which is that i i can say enough of the right things to make it look like i know what i'm talking about but this really isn't my main passion in life i think a lot of the issue comes with how they are presented and how they are asked to present themselves i look at them and i look at jamie and i just see wish.com vin diesel and i look at darren and i just see dry toast <laughs> the other thing that they wanted for this show was like uh, jez wright wanted this to feel like a zoo so you want to be able to see all of the areas like the opening of this show is them going around like here's the pc lounge here's the news desk here's the handheld area whatever it is and that's kind of the feeling they want to do so we have some other members of the crew like there is a, a vo lady called lucy taylor and then a group of researchers simon guy and sarah who is also the gadget girl the, the aforementioned gadget girl you mentioned there and there's matt cuttle who is the retro guy we see later on in the show and i, I did find an interview with with matt from 2007 uh, a website that was called cnc it's best i could learn from it it's actually like an archived interview uh, but he said of the show gamesville was relentless but great fun we made over 220 hour-long shows in a year and a half do the maths the team was great and i also produced and directed half of the shows too along with others i don't think it was all that bad 
What people fail to understand is, at the end of the day, you must make what the channel wants or it won't get made at all and you don't get paid. Although a minority liked to go on the forums and slag it off, the majority enjoyed it and it filled many hours of entertainment for kids during the summer holidays. You know what? He's absolutely right. And I cannot argue with a single word he said there other than over 220 hour long episodes. It wasn't, or they made a bunch that just never made it to air. I don't think we're going to be terribly kind to this show. Call it precognition, but I've just, like, I can see the look on Luke's face. Luke can see the look on mine. It's not going to be a smooth ride. But I think there is actually the skeleton of a good show, a good concept here. It's just unfortunate that rather than putting muscle on that skeleton, they put shit. This did not need to be a daily, hour-long show. If they needed something multiple times a week, they could, well, they could have either gone for five half-hour shows or three-hour-longs. You know, you could have still, with a few extra challenges and a little bit less padding here and there, there was the framework of something that could have been a daily kind of like, um, I don't know, like breakfast show, but for games or something like that. I can see what they were going for i'm sure matt is absolutely right lots of kids love this when i was looking around usenet i did find some people going i think this is great unfortunately it was immediately followed by 30 other people going are you mad going by the the tone of jamie and darren which you'll hear in a second when we start uh, having some clips in there this show has a target market that target market was not me even here in 2003, and it's not me now at 37 years old. I am not the target audience for this show. But I do think you'll... I agree with you. I think that there is something here that could work. But I think it being an hour long is the first thing that really hurts it. And I think in this episode in particular, three not very good challenges, four not very good challenges, or intro, or exciting to watch challenges make the show feel even longer although i will say one of those challenges got the biggest laugh of the episode out of me just by existing but shall we get into it let's get into it prince a bad rock star from the late 80s persians a race of people living around 400 bc sand covers 30 percent of the earth's surface time an irreversible progression from past through present to future so who cares? Well, put them all together and you get one of the most highly anticipated titles of this year in Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. I'll be honest, Ash, I, I nearly turned the show off immediately when they started calling Prince a bad rock star from the 80s. There is one thing in this intro that is factually correct, and it's literally the bit where he quotes the Oxford English Dictionary. Because let's break it down. Prince widely regarded as one of the greatest musicians of our generation, the past generation, any generation. He transcended genre. He transcended gender. He transcended everything. He was multimedia, multi-format. Kevin Smith has a great story about working with the dude. Yeah, my favourite Prince anecdote is someone asked Eric Clapton, how does it feel to be the greatest guitar player in the world? And he said, I don't know. Ask Prince. Then we get to the Persians who apparently stopped existing thousands of years ago. I think what they've done here is they've just gone Persians and omitted the word ancient. But, come on guys, you've got researchers on this show. And I know it's five days a week, but this could be looked up in an encyclopedia. 
Well, that's the problem, Ash, is they do have researchers and they probably have encyclopedias. We know they've got access to the internet and they could just go on to, you know, Yahoo or ask Jeeves and get the answer here. Out of this to make. It's a lack of time. They are crunching these shows out. They're recording two to three episodes of this sucker a day. They do not have time to be fact-checking. Which explains the next bit. Sand covers 30% of the Earth's surface. Water covers 70%. Luke, I put it to you. Where does the rest of the stuff go? Because I'm not sat on sand right now. My house (laughs) is not built on sand, nor is yours, probably. I mean, I'm sat on sand. But then I've got a two-year-old. Sand just gets everywhere. Ah, right. But your house is not built on sand. As far as I'm aware, it's not, no. Do you have a garden or a small desert out back? (laughs) No, the grass does get pretty dry out there. But it's just... uh, Luke, I'm hating this. Can we go back to 1992 and start again? This introduction does set this episode off on a bad foot. I mean, I'll be honest, I actually stopped listening after the Prince thing because (laughs) I was like, "Ah, you guys are... You've already... I, I don't like you guys now. Like, you've already angered me here. So I kind of missed the whole, like, get the Persian thing wrong in the sand. I literally just wrote down what they said, and I was like, so mean about Prince. They're doing this to link us to their kind of biggest featured game of today, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Anywhere in that intro, they could have gone, we're looking today at the hotly anticipated reboot of one of the greatest adventure games of the last generation of gaming, because that's exactly what it was. 1989, I think, for the first Prince of Persia. It, I mean, we've talked about that game before on this podcast. That's how long it's been around. Predates Games Master. Yeah, comfortably by a couple of years. The Super Nintendo version of Prince of Persia is bloody lovely. It's not the series' first attempt at 3D, but it's certainly the first one that looked like it was going to work. They could have touched upon any of that in a single sentence. But nope, we get slander against Prince, cultural erasure, massive geographical inaccuracy, and we have the proof that someone on the production crew knows how to use a dictionary. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Jamie Atiko, and if gaming is your life, then we are your heart. Pumping knowledge to all of your extremities. And I'm Darren Malcolm, and yep, if gaming's in your blood like us, then it's got to be Gamesville. But you're here for a reason. Let me tell you about the treasures going on in Gamesville today. Well, in our face-off zone, we have got Xbox's great racer. It is Group S Challenge, and I tell you what, we've got two gamers who are going to be battling it out for an elite stamp. And I tell you what, in our clash of the titles today, we've got an old favourite going up against a new pretender, as Chrome goes plasma to plasma with Halo. Whew, that's going to be a biggie, Jay. It is. I tell you what else we've got. We've got the old school guy with the massive forearms in our retro table. I'm talking about Popeye. Well, I tell you what, Popeye, I tell you what, Daz, let me show you what's going on in games. Well, because there's plenty more, mate. But at least then we get a diamondism. We're here to watch a show that's going to pump gaming knowledge to all of our extremities. Yes, we're going to get pumped this show. Uh, I do want to say the title sequence is moderately inoffensive. I do like the use of the inverted AV symbols because I've used that gimmick for my name at times. And so I'm like, eh, yeah, okay, I can't be too harsh on that. That's actually a relatively timeless bit of design. That, or I'm just an old fart, either one's good. And we get into the episode and we meet Jamie and Darren, or Daz. And um, Jamie is going for that kind of like, you know, as I put in my notes here, Vin Weasel look. That's very good. Thank you, I've got more. Dominic Diamond, when talking about Dexter Fletcher... Uh, he and he, you know, he said this in interviews, and he said this in uh, the, the series five clip show as well. That Dexter Fletcher has an irritant, which is to repeat 
whatever the person he's interviewing has just said to him. You know, he, they play various clips of him doing that. Uh, when I used to work in a call center, we used to get go through sort of courses and stuff to try and remove what our own irritants are. When I listen back to this podcast and I'm editing it, I can hear my irritants as well. I try to remove them as best as I can, but there are just patterns of where you people speak that you cannot remove them. Both of these guys have got the same irritant, and that is, and I'll tell you what, as a way to start the next to start their next link to a sentence, because one of them will say something, he'll cut to the next one, and he'll say, and I'll tell you what, X, Y, and Z, and the next person will go, and I'll tell you what, A, B, C, and the first person will go, and I'll tell you what, M, P, Q, and just that's their way they're sort of linking things together. And all I could hear over and over again was, and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what. But I'll tell you what, Luke, two gamers are going to battle it out in an entirely middle-of-the-road racer called Group S Challenge. Now, you say it is an entirely middle-of-the-road racer, and you are correct. However, Ash, i got to be honest, and maybe it's just because we've done three episodes now, which have just been straight news shows with reviews. The, just the mere idea of gaming challenges really perked me up. Like, they, they really put me off with, with their Prince Slander. But then I was like, <gasps> gaming challenges. Oh, it, it could be like Games Master. Yeah, this will be good. I'm sure this will be really, really great. Oh, you're about to get punched in the cock, aren't oh, you? So hard. And I should have seen, <laughs> and I should have seen this. The, the writing was on the wall. Because what do you win if you beat the challenge? stamp is what you get you get a certificate and a stamp it is not a games master guru larry is not scouring ebay to try and find this shit online he will pay over the odds for a games master golden joystick but he is not looking for one of these i just went to ebay and i typed in games filler and guess what came up what's that nothing (laughs) and that's including an international search no one is trying to sell gamesville merchandise would you adam and eve it that means there's one or two options either they're really keeping hold of them and trying to increase their value or b everyone just threw it in the bin when they got home or actually option c left it there before they went home Option D, we're never actually given it. And as soon as the camera stopped rolling, it's like, no, inkjet ink's expensive. We've got four episodes to film today. We can't just be handing these things out. But Luke, as much as things change, some things stay the same. We've only got time for one take, particularly when we're knocking two or three of these out in a day. So Jamie calls Darren Popeye and we'll just keep it in. Yeah. And then he just stumbles over his lines and be like... I'm, I'm going to go speak to the members of the crew. And we go around to the PC lounge. We go to the console kitchen. We go I like that. I like that yeah. name. And we go to the handheld area. And then we'll be checking in with the G team later on. What are the G team, Luke? I Well, they're the people who are looking at websites, I guess, to try and find news that can fill out five minutes of airtime. No, but why? I mean, why the G? Is it, is it G for Gamesville? Gamesville, yeah. Yeah, and the same thing. It's a G rating that they score games out of as well. It's a Gamesville rating, I guess. But that's, you know, people sitting at home, you know, they like Gamesville, but they don't know how to get involved. What can they do? A simple step, Jamie. All you have to do is email the boys at gamesville.tv. If you didn't quite catch that, that's the boys at gamesville.tv. How easy was that, Daz? Absolutely, mate. But Luke, do you want to get involved? 
<laughs> if only there was a really cool email address I could get in touch with. And sadly, this email address is not a way to get in touch with Billy Butcher, Huey, and all the other members of the boys. It's boys with a Z. Because it's 2003, and it's still cool to put a Z in your name. Yes, the boys at GameZVillezTVZ. Now, mate, if I was to ask you one simple question, what do you want to do now? What would you say to me? Jay, I'd say, let's get gaming. Let's do it. I, Luke, we need a catchphrase as a podcast. Let's not make it that. <laughs> Ash, try, try not to bring me down here. I'm getting a video game challenge. I'm excited for this. Not only that, but there's actually a little bit of the Games Master reboot in, in this segment here because when we were having, like, you know, I'm not saying we were part of you know pitch meetings or anything like that, but when they were, the production team were kind of telling us, here are some of the ideas that we're looking at for the format for the Games Master reboot slash Series 8. One of the things they said was that the people going on the show would have personal grudges that they're looking to settle and they're going to do that over again. I don't think that ever really made it to air. It did a couple of times, but it never really became like a driving factor. But it is here in Gamesville because I've I've watched a couple of episodes and there are you know kids on there being like, I want to face him because of this, or I want to beat this person because of why. Like I found a a write up from someone who went to a taping to play 1080 snowboarding against their brother. And the reason that they gave is because, well, today is my birthday and beating my brother on TV would be the best birthday present ever. So I really hope that our two competitors here have got a real grudge beef that they need to settle. Now, our first game is Marcus. Marcus, welcome to Gamesville. Hi there. Now, I mean, you guys are here for a reason. You're here to settle a score. What's the grudge? Tell us all about well, it. Well, he loves football and I love basketball. And he's trying to put down basketball and say that football's a better game. Oh, so. so, I mean, you're not having that, are you? No, so I have to settle it here. Right, on the driving game? Yeah. I mean, it's a shit grudge, but I'm on Marcus's side on this one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I am as well, actually. Particularly if I look back at 2003 Ash... You know, I was still quite into my basketball at that point. And Marcus is here to take down his mate, Actar. And I'm not going to say I'm swayed also towards Marcus by the way Actar behaves, but I am entirely swayed towards Marcus because of the way Actar behaves. He yeah. is up there with. Do you remember the triplets? I was. I was the triplets. I was going to say, or the little, the, the kid that was on ser- the Mortal Kombat episode of uh, series three. Oh yeah, that that one as well. Let's meet our second gamer. His name is Actar. How you doing? Easy, cool. I'm cool. Now tell me a bit about yourself, mate. What console you got at home? PS2. PS2. And you're yeah. on the Xbox today. That's not going to be a problem, yeah. is it? Nah, not too much. No, nah? no. What kind of games do you usually play when you're at home? Action and missionary games and all that thing. I'd but yeah, he, he's trying to act super cool, wipe his nose, look away from the camera. Uh, he's a PS2 owner. He normally plays action games, missionary games. That got a laugh, especially <laughs> because it's just they, they ignore it. And I know what he's trying to say. He's trying to talk about mission-based adventure games. But no, he said the word missionary. I was watching it just over dinner. I was kind of refreshing myself and putting myself off my food. That bit came up. And Soul said, do you think he did that deliberately? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't think he did. (laughs) I don't think he did at all. Don would not have let that go. No, Don Don would have been on that like anything. The bit that made me laugh in this is when they're interviewing Marcus 
and you know, we said, what's this grudge over? He goes, well, he thinks that football's better than basketball. And Jamie says, so we're going to settle this on a driving game. So, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what we're doing. And I am Toot says he's got action, adventure and a mission today because he's in the face-off zone. And Akhtar's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever, man. It's not hard to compare Group S Challenge with the Gran Turismo series. The pumping soundtrack, the licensed cars and the eye candy graphics. But where this game differs is its handling. Steering clear of the ultra-realistic sensation of GT, Group S Challenge goes for a more arcadey feel, although it still remains an in-depth game. Whether it's a GT beater is debatable, but what we do know is that it makes a great face-off. One thing I do like, though, is they then throw to, like, a video package thing that kind of... It's almost like a mini-review to kind of set up what the game is. It's not really set up the challenge, like, you know, throwing to the Games Master to tell us what the challenge is, but it's just this... This lady, Lucy, uh, I believe is the, the voiceover artist, although at one point I did think she was just an AI bot that they were just typing a script into and it was just replaying the voice back. No, I think it's just very, very heavily limited and like processed. It's not processed to make her sound like a robot. They've done what I do with our raw recordings, but the parameters they've set are probably much, much closer, much, much tighter, leave no room and also they've eliminated any sounds of breath or any other kind of noises that might indicate that it's a human speaking i like this as a concept to you know have a little mini review a little here's what the you can expect from the game it's basically like the xbox version of gran turismo but as it turns out it's nothing like gran turismo because this one is not a realistic driving sim this is more like ridge racer this is an arcadey game and I do love the line of whether it's a GT beater is debatable, which is a nice way of saying that this game is middle of the nicely rendered road. I wasn't sure if it was that or because I feel like they're often just middle of the road on a lot of the things that they say when they're sort of comparing things that they don't want to anger any publisher. So they're not picking any sides. Maybe. But I mean, it's entirely accurate to say this is middle of the road. It wasn't horrifically received, but it wasn't wonderfully received it was just received mixed reviews right our gamers are in first gear and their clutch is just on biting point but before we let them go let's explain some rules now face-offs are split into three rounds throughout the show and each round is going to be a two lap race whoever's past the finish line first wins it's as simple as that right it is jay now guys get your pads in your hands because it's time to show and prove after the count three two one let the games begin Right, so, okay, we are now going to explain what happens, or I say explain, we're going to recap what happens in this challenge, and we can then just take what's said in this bit here and repeat it for the next three races that they do, or the next two races they certainly do between these two, because the same thing happens in all of the three races. And I'd love to say that maybe we would have some kind of witty commentary notes to add, they might be there. I couldn't tell you because I can't hear the commentary over the kids being told to shout. Yeah, the sound mixing here is quite bad. This is Series 3 Plus. Thankfully, though, of the commentary that I could hear, I felt so bad for Jamie and Darren because I've been in the situation that they were in when we did UCP Live too, And you and I were providing commentary and doing commentary is hard. It's a really hard thing to do. 
because you're not just watching the game you are watching the person playing the game and providing some commentary over the top of that's for the the audience and that's it's not an easy thing to do and these two guys do not have the skill set for it so every now and again we'll just go it's group s on the xbox actar's driving maybe marcus can pull this back that's group s on the xbox here on gamesville it's the face-off challenge we're playing group s on the xbox they run out of things to say very quickly and a lot of that is not helped by the fact there's not a lot happening in the challenge to commentate on it's fair to say marcus plays racing games actar doesn't and this is shown when despite being a football fan Akhtar doesn't know what to do with corners. Akhtar, you've got to break before the corners, mate. He just drives straight into them. <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm making a desire path. I'm not going around this corner. I'm just going to go straight on. I'm going to Thelma and Louise this. At one point, like, because this happens every single time he has to take a corner is to drive into it. At one point during one of the post-match interviews, Jamie or Darren says to him, he's like, why don't you break around the corner? He's like, I just don't see them coming. It's like, how are you not seeing them coming? They're right in front of you. There's, there's loads of them. But without wishing to telegraph how this three-round race is going to go, we get to the end of the first one. Marcus takes the win, despite also actually spending a, an amount of time in the end of the race slamming into corners. We have a winner in round one. And man, that was a smooth, smooth drive. It was like a Sunday drive, right, Marcus? Yes, yeah, it's easy as that. Man. Yeah, you just like let your hair down, just like chilled out and just, you know, took your time yeah. around the course. He put you in the pressure at the beginning, but you definitely, definitely came through very well. Well done, Marcus. Great round from you. And Daz calls it a smooth, smooth drive. It was not. <laughs> no. And Chronicles of Ridicule is still backing Akhtar. That's not bad at all. I'm disappointed you didn't even acknowledge I am Toot. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you never know. Maybe the second round will be better. It isn't, but let's have a review anyway. Right now, though, guys, let's check out our first review. Right, things are heating up in the console kitchen because we're taking a look at World Rally Championship 3. Now, I'm a big fan of rally games. Now, I'm pretty good on tarmac, but rally is a whole different B game. Now, I like my games challenging, and more often than not, you always get that in a rally game, which is why I'm looking forward to checking out our next title. Now, I want to know, will it make the grade or will it end up in the mud? In the meantime, have a look at this. The way that we've kind of set this up here as a review is that Darren kind of gives a bit of an introduction to be like, you know, hey, I really like rally games and I like a challenge, but, you know, sometimes they can be a bit too hard and they throw to our AI robot voice lady. And then we come back to a game reviewer who gives his thoughts on this. And then we throw it to a punter who gives their reviews on it, although it's quite a monosyllabic review of it. Then we go back to the game reviewer for the final score. So we're getting a nice breadth of, like, voices about the game, which I quite like. It's like a lot of the early days of games master reviews when you had you know kids providing reviews or like three different games journalists as i say there is a skeleton of a good show here maybe i could watch a bunch more episodes and it would grow on me like a tumor of some kind but i doubt it because at the end of the day the pace would still be what it is and if they are indeed scared of pissing off game publishing companies they're never going to say anything too truthful and they feature some good games in this episode, but mainly only when talking about other games. The one exception is Prince of Persia Sands of Time, which thankfully is an absolute banger. Yeah, because like even here, you know, this 
World Rally Championship 3 or WRC 2003. It's another one of those mixed review games. And they kind of give sort of a middling review of it here, which is that, is it as good as Colin McRae? Yeah, sort of, in a way. And it's got everything that Colin McRae has, apart from Colin McRae. How realistic is this compared to Colin McRae? It's, well, compared to Colin McRae, it's a difficult call, actually. None of the rally games are amazingly realistic. Yeah. With Colin McRae, they tried to make it really realistic, and then in beta testing, they realised that it was just too real, and they actually dumbed it down a little right. bit. With this game, it's as if they dumbed it down just a little bit further than Colin McRae 4. One of the things I, I did like about this was Sai, who's the reviewer that they're chatting to, talks about how the Colin McRae was much more realistic in a beta version of it that they then dumbed down because that was deemed too hard. And what this game does is dumb it down even further so it makes it kind of a bit more arcadey, a bit more accessible, I would say, as a game. I mean, I mean, Sai is doing the heavy lifting on this review because we also do have a member of the gaming public contributing to this review. Well, we've got our game of Mustafa over here. Now, Mustafa, are you a big driving fan? Yeah. Yeah? Love your driving games? Yeah. All right, so what do you think of this? What do you think of World Rally Championship? This is... It ain't as good as Colin McRae's, but... Yeah. Pretty good? It's all right, yeah. It's, yeah. it's decent. It's a, it's a decent driving game, but the terrain's a bit... You know... Not, not detailed yeah. enough. What are your favourite elements good. of the game? Um, the, the way the headlights are shown yeah. and how, like, the, the, the car's representation. Those are his contributions. Contributing is a, is a strong word there that uh, he likes the headlights and, and the car representation because representation does matter in media. I know what he meant by car representation, but I'm just like, you can really tell there was no second takes in this because <laughs> they could have they could have written a cue card for the poor little bugger. I, I felt bad for him. The thing is, he is right. The way the headlights are rendered does look very nice. <laughs> it just makes him sound a bit thick. When he's just like, what do you like about the game's the headlights. Yeah. Well, I must have seems pretty happy with it, so yeah. give me a G rating. Okay, excellent graphics, mm -hmm. great gameplay. It's the second best rally game there is out there. It's going to get a solid 4Gs. He basically gives three non-answers, and Darren says, well, I'm going to take those to mean that you like this game. I was like, I don't know how you're taking that to think that he likes the game, because one of the things he said was, it's not as good as Colin McRae. This entire game review can be summed up as it's not bad, but it's not Colin McRae, which is a much better game, and that's why we're not reviewing it at this point in time. Also, because it had already been out for a little bit. But it does score four Gs and is comfortably the second best rally game out at the moment. Now, if I was to tell you to trust a man with swirly eyes who lives in a hovel and wears a habit, would you believe me? Not unless it was the guru. It's time to see the master of knowledge. Was that a joke? Who needs me now? Mitsdidos, he writes Guru. Can you give me cheats for Kung Fu Chaos on that Xbox, please? I would rather give you a dictionary, my friend, so you can learn how to spell. However, you have asked me for my wisdom, and I shall not fail. This One bit of this show I do like. I quite like the games, Guru, mainly because he insults the people asking for help. I actually think that's really fun because most of the time he starts each bit by going, oh, well, what you need to do, oh, you don't want to get good. You just want to cheat. Well, fuck you. Here's some knowledge. And it really, especially because this guy's like the the director or something. This yeah, is one of is. the directors or producers involved. Yeah, he is the director of this show. The, the games guru uh, here is basically like this is Gamesville's version of the games master or namrude although it feels like he wanted him from the mighty boosh yeah, a little bit he never blinks 
is just always like staring down the barrel or like you know looking around but never blinking it's like noel fielding's creepy uncle and you know think about that statement for a second <laughs> one of the things i found when i was looking at the forum posts about this was a lot of people saying that mate just get a game fax because we are in an internet age now this isn't like 1993 when you would be watching the telly box to get some hints and cheats for a game or hoping the games master magazine will come with the the tips book and stuff we are now in an internet age where you can just go online and, and find things out the games master reboot was going to have a consultation zone and we know that they were going to have it because you and I filmed content for it that never made it to air. But they decided in the end not to put it in the show because it does not work in 2023 when everything is so much more readily available. And that the same can be said of here in 2003. But I like the fact that they've got this. It's a way to kind of break the show up a little bit and give each sort of segment its own different flavor. And you're right, I think his performance is pretty good. I, I found this, this write-up about him. Funny enough, from the same Pokemon fan site that I took that new metal review from uh, from 50 Point Grind a couple of weeks back, one of the writers for that Pokemon fan site was the 1080 snowboarding kid and and sort of did a little like three three day blog post about his experiences on there. Uh, and he writes, uh, next to the little secret of the trade, it is said on this topic by someone else, but I'll repeat it again for those who missed the particular post. The games guru is the director. He buzzed around holding one of those television take-one items while also telling everyone what to do. He might seem a bit silly when playing his usual games guru character, but he was really working his hair off. Of course, he had a normal voice and a pair of normal clothes. You can't expect him to walk around in a deep voice with dark clothes all the time, can you? I mean, I don't know, it works for some of us. But I, I actually really liked the... the the fact that and I find this funny is when you're in a show which has been mocked for its abuse of the English language, the first thing this guy does is say, I want to give you a dictionary so you learn how to write properly. Yeah, because Mitz D has sent a text here. If uh, the Games Guru has any cheats for Kung Fu Chaos, quote, on the Xbox players, end quote. Kung Fu Chaos, multiplayer, brawler type game. But Luke... Guess what reception it was released to? Did it get mixed reviews? It fucking did. <laughs> Can you believe? Three for three on those mixed reviews. Can't wait till we get to Prince of Persia. Maybe that will also get mixed reviews. Games Guru, how can I do perfect manuals on Tunnels Underground on the GameCube? I keep falling off my board. Ah, now the next game. That's a bit of a different story. You know, it's the first open world Tony Hawk's game. Uh, the first one that kind of took a different tact from the previous ones, which was this arcade here's a level, you've got two minutes per go, try and complete as many of the tasks as you can in those two minutes, and if you don't do all of them, another two minutes will start and have another crack at it, then do some tournaments, and you win. Collect the secret tapes and all this sort of stuff, unlock some extras. This was the first one where they were like, okay, well, we've done four of those games now, let's try something new. What if it was an open world game? What if a Tony Hawk's pro skater game had a storyline and you were a character within the world of Tony Hawk's pro skater and you got to go from being the street level skater to top rank professional and you get to meet all of these skateboarders along the way? I liked Tony Hawk Underground in principle, I didn't love it in execution uh, when I got to play it. I actually just preferred the arcade style of the original four games. 
I mean, I think as we've covered before, you don't have time for open world games, Luke. <laughs> I do not have time. Like, but you know, back here, I would have done. In 2003, I would have had time for an open world game. I remember one of the bits when you do uh, a segment with Rodney Mullen and you're on an, an 80 skateboard. So it's not a double-ended one. So there are certain tricks that you can't do and you have to try and like spin it around to be the right way and being that being a bit feckin' annoying. But yeah, I just kind of prefer just the pick up and play, do a level and just repeat, rinse and repeat and collect everything. But it, I, I appreciate the ambition of Tony Hawk Underground. And a lot of people did because it wasn't entirely without its issues, particularly some of them came to controls and also additionally vehicles that weren't skateboards the controls for those particularly were quite wonky but it did get released to kind of like a quite wide acclaim also sold an absolute ton was followed by another sequel tony hawk's underground 2 which came out the year after it was overall a success and definitely a game we can say did not get released to mixed reviews this got good reviews uh, when it came out and i will say like even though i wasn't the biggest fan of tony hawk underground it didn't put me off buying the next one because i bought underground 2 as well like i was still invested enough in the tony hawk's franchise to keep playing these games uh, in order to do perfect manuals you must strike the balance between up and down keeping your character upright at all times and uh, i see you were after a cheat, weren't you? Not the correct way to do it. In which case, my friend, what you must do is keep it steady. Ah, uh, I have it. You must keep it steady. Go to the cheat code entry screen and enter the code. Keep it steady. But again, with this hint, the guy wants to know how to do perfect manuals and genuinely... The games guru does actually start talking about the mechanics of doing perfect manuals and does get it, it is the disappointment in his voice of just like, oh, you want to cheat, don't you? You simp. <laughs> just really, I've just worked out who the games guru reminds me of. Atmosphere. <laughs> For audio listeners, which is all of you, Ash just lifted up his box of atmosphere. Not a bad shout, actually. I like that a lot. Uh, manuals are the key to getting those combos up though so that's actually a pretty good cheat to have it'll be a hollow victory luke oh hollow indeed yes but still at least you win guru you should learn to blink now and again it might improve your eyesight now if you need some gaming advice from the man upstairs send your emails to guru at gamesville.tv and uk digital satellite viewers if you've missed any of the great man's words don't worry about it just pick up that remote control and simply press your red button. Nice bit of nostalgia here. Although I didn't have Sky, I did go around to people's houses that had Sky. And this eventually made it onto some of the terrestrial channels I had as well. The red button. Or if you uh, want to catch up with what you just heard or you missed it, you press that red button and all of a sudden the TV becomes interactive. I did have Sky... Oh, it wouldn't have been 2003... I think I had it from like 2005 till about 2010, uh, purely because the aerial in the building I was in didn't work, but there was a satellite dish on the outside of the building. 
that that was it really but it was it was nice to have you know it was a good to have a nice selection of channels and everything that was that was quite nice i remember the red channel they were great during sporting events i think they still kind of are now although i players taken over a lot of it because it was always a case of oh this is on during the olympics do you want to watch other events that aren't this that may be a bit more interesting press the red button i think there is still a red button channel on freeview I, th- I, think I think we had it is. on the other day. Yeah, I remember when I was a student, we got Sky. Well, there was someone who I was living with who got Sky, mainly because they wanted the sports channels, which was very good for me as a wrestling fan because it meant that I got me wrestling. But I remember there was like a f- two really fun bits of red button functionality of football games in around sort of the mid-2000s, one of which was follow a certain player. So you could just have a camera tracking just one player as you just sort of follow them around the pitch, which I thought was, that was quite interesting. But the one that we really liked was fan commentary, which was that they would have a fan representing each team playing, actually providing the commentary in, in place of the professionals doing it. And it was really quite fun. It was actually a much better way to, to enjoy the game because there were just two people who were very biased towards who they were you know, commentating on kind of reminds me a little bit actually of the um, football challenge we had in Series Seven, where Dominic's very much in favour of Scotland and Yellow Man was very much in favour of England. So that's a bit of red button functionality I do remember really enjoying around this the couple of years after this. Now coming up on the show, Sarah has got some great gaming gadgets for us, including a device that lets you game in the back seat of your car. I'm not believing that for a second. I'm telling you, Jay, for real. Yeah. I'll tell you what, we've got another frantic race coming up in our face-off arena as our gamers head for the continent for some more street racing action. That's all coming up right here on Gamesville. You'd be crazy to go anywhere. Look at you prima donnas. You'll never survive. Well, I got a little surprise for you girls. Now hit the field. Beat them right. <laughs> Another easy day of practice. <laughs> Prima Donna's. WWE Survivor Series. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The WWE in football. Nah. Maybe I'm a banker who's completely obsessed. Got a little something that's bound to impress. This current account pays a higher amount of extraordinary interest. Extra, extra, I know you want more. I'll give you something extra when you walk through my door. Extra, extra, though I cannot deny. Terms and conditions apply. It's easy to switch to the current account that pays 25 times more interest than these banks. Halifax, always giving you extra. With the Spice Girls a distant memory, Posh was determined to be a solo star. Nothing would stand in her way. David had grown too big for his Man United boots. Time for a transfer to Real Madrid. They were ready to take on the world. Was the world ready for them? But you need to learn to bounce the ball rather than kick it. Featuring the best poses ever and some serious pouting. The all-new Posh and Bex years, Monday at 9, Sky One. Now, if you just tuned in to this hardcore gaming fun, let me enlighten you on what's going on. We've got two gamers battling it out on Group S Challenge. We've got my boy Marcus. He's one round up at the moment. Well, we come back from the ad break, and it's time for more face-off action as Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, sorry, I mean Marcus and Actor, uh, are going to play more of this Group S Challenge game. And Actor's big plan is not to break before corners or take a nice racing line it's to just go faster look at this gamer this is a very determined man right now because he lost the first round but round two is here and what are you going to bring to the table my friend more power more acceleration more speed yeah yeah and more braking Breaking, don't worry about speed you've got to yeah, be able to that. control the speed as well yeah, so yeah, yeah. break before you get to them corners yeah luck was in his first line man right well we'll see what happens in round two all to play for d that's the way to do it Balls to the laws of physics. It's the sonic route. you got to go fast. Marcus, man, we all know it wasn't luck, innit? No. We know that it was pure driving skill, don't yeah. we? Yeah? yeah. I mean, you know, what else are you going to bring to the table we're around man, to? Just do the same. Yeah? Just do the same. He knows it was skill as well. You know that, yeah. don't you? Oh. <laughs> and then Marcus's big tactic for this is, I'm just going to do the same thing I did last time, and you'll never guess what. That's what he does, and it really pays off for him, because this is on the Monaco circuit, which they describe as a twisty one. This spells disaster for Akhtar at sacrifice. This is round two, and I'll tell you what, I can't wait for it to get underway. So guys, pick up your pads, please. Mm -hmm. Right, we are on the Monaco circuit, and this is a very tough, twisty circuit. After the count of three, three, two, one, let the games begin! What does he do with that first corner, Luke? Uh, he drives straight into it. And the second corner? He drives straight into that one as well. What about the third? Uh, I, I'm going to just check my notes here. Um, nope, he hits that one and loses all momentum. <laughs> he drives so fast into one of the corners, his car lifts off the ground. <laughs> What's really funny is that third corner when he drives straight into it is that Jamie Lee Dover goes, don't worry, Actar, you're still in this. Bosh, straight into the corner. 
I mean, technically, he is still in the challenge. He can't escape that easily. <laughs> like, it is... You know, Marcus is so far ahead that he is all over the show and he is cocking everything up, but it's not playing into anything because Akhtar cannot... Even with all of those mistakes, Marcus goes from being seven seconds ahead to 11 seconds ahead. Imagine if he'd have been playing it well. I think Daz is watching a different challenge, though, because he's doing the thing of like, he's doing the encouraging thing of going, come on, mate, come on. You're still in it. You can still do it. Don't worry. He may have just crossed the finishing line, but you can still do it. You've got to believe. He literally said, Taron leans across to him and says, mate, anything could happen in this race. You can still win. Not Half a second later, Marcus crosses the finish line. It wasn't quite they think it's all over, but it was then. Now, that is what I call driving in style. Now, Marcus, you won round one, and round two was just a walk in the park, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just the same thing. Yeah? yeah. So, I mean, you're two rounds ahead. Surely you must be thinking whitewash. Yeah, Three obviously. Nil. Yeah? Yeah, whitewash. I mean, are we going to go for that? Yeah. I reckon it's going to be an easy task, we're yeah. yeah? All right, top stuff. Post-race, Marcus is just like, easy. Completed it, mate. A walk in the park, mate. This is a three-round challenge, and he's already two ahead. And they're like, well, round three's for pride, I guess. This is the thing. Games Master, it would have been three rounds, so two out of three falls. It's the standard. And part of me was wondering the first time I watched this, of, oh, what what do they do if it's a two-round lead? And then I can't remember why, but I skipped ahead, and I saw the final round before I'd seen the second race. And I'm like, oh, so if he wins the first two, the third is against one of the presenters. Well, that's quite cool. And I get to this point and I'm like, oh no, they're just going for humiliation and degradation. They're just making him suffer. Round three, you're playing for pride, my friend. You are playing for pride. It's two nil down. I don't know what to say. I don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders. But round three is all about your pride and saving face. This is where Games Master would have gone, the challenge is over. This is where Gamesville goes, no, we're going to humiliate you on television. No, let's do it again. Right, now it's time to see some people who have never lost any pride because they're just too good. It's the one and only G-Team. Matt, what's the lowdown, bro? I've got some terrifying news Ooh. for you. It's not actually terrifying, but it's disappointing. Xbox Two isn't going to be backwards compatible as I speak at the moment. Ash, we've had a couple of shows now that have had like news items and stuff that seem to just have nothing but doom and gloom news for us, whether that be the death of the Dreamcast, the death of New Metal, or just the death of SNK. And here we have more doom and gloom news, this time around, the Xbox 2. Apparently not going to be backwards compatible, which I don't know why people thought it would be. We have literally had one console of recent generations that is properly backwards compatible, the PS2. And there seemed to be at this time this sense of, and I'm going to call it entitlement, of no, well, your console has to be has to be backwards compatible too. Luke, we're going to set up a petition about this. <laughs> there are dozens of us. Dozens. It is... It's a bit of uh, release the Snyder Cut levels of that we're signing an online petition here, and I'm sure that'll change things. <laughs> but I, I, I think you're right, though. It's a case of, well, the PS2 is backwards compatible, so surely the Xbox 2 will be backwards compatible with all of my Xbox games. It is it is slightly enticing, but it's also, yeah, I think I, PlayStation sort of set a precedent for it in this generation. 
but just for the fact just by doing it once except they didn't make the ps2 backwards compatible that's a lie they put a ps1 inside the ps2 so there's no backward compatibility there's a we're sticking one machine inside another and calling it a feature well, well it is a feature that does make it backwards compatible but, but it's, it's got backwards capabilities yeah i suppose but it's not it's not properly backwards compatible it's it's kind of like sticking a jam sandwich on top of a tuna sandwich and calling it a complete meal it's not no, but if you really want a jam sandwich and a tuna sandwich at the same time, you have got what you need there. And if if Microsoft aren't doing that sandwich, you're probably not going to look that favourably than you are if Sony are making that meal. Based on the fact that Microsoft lost a shed load of money on the hardware for the Xbox, uh, they did very much go back to the drawing board. They decided the Xbox was a good venture and they wanted to move forward. So they dev- started developing a sequel to the Xbox. We do see some very cool concept artwork here, the controller of which is not actually a million miles away from what we ended up with, although weirdly a bit closer to what we got with the PS5 controller. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Uh, I wish the Xbox 360 had looked like the concept art of the console. That looked rad. Yeah, although you can't do a red ring of death on that design. I don't know, the entire top of it was circular. You could have done a very big red ring of death. (laughs) It's nothing but a red ring of death. Luke, it actually just catches fire. (laughs) The reason being that their new IBM processor isn't compatible with the old um, Pentium processor. So it's because they're changing chipsets. So it's probably because of a movement in technology they can't really... Well, exactly, but I'm sure, you know, those clever bods at Microsoft can do a bit of digging under the bonnet and sort it out. Take note of that one, you know. know. Sort it. Pull your finger out. Nice one, Matt. They do say in this news article that it's all to do with the Pentium chipset, and this is entirely true because the original Xbox was based on a Pentium. Try not to phase out. I can see you glazing over. Stick with me. It was based on a Pentium. It was based on the same sort of processor you'd get in your PC. When they looked at the Xbox 360 and they looked at what they would have to compete with, they did completely go back to the drawing board and they realised they needed to create something bespoke. They needed to create something super powerful and super focused So they went off not to Intel, but to IBM and looked at a PowerPC chip. Now, if you owned a Mac before they went over to Intel or recently their own hardware, that was what powered Macs. It was PowerPC. And that is also why backwards compatibility, unless you stuck an Xbox inside the Xbox 2, would not be possible. Because emulation across hardware platforms, particularly at that time, was dire. It's why running Mac software on a Windows hardware platform didn't work, and especially vice versa. And I say that as a Mac user from the late 90s to the early 2000s. You could, in theory, run Windows 95 on a Mac if you liked watching it as a flick book. It wasn't great. But apparently none of the people that signed for this survey had any understanding of hardware capabilities. Well, of course they don't. They are people online who just see... I want to play Halo Combat Evolved on my Xbox 2. I can't. Well, I've signed a petition now, so give it to us. Well, apparently the researchers involved in this show also didn't know that you can't do that because their justification behind it is, ah, the clever bods at Microsoft can work this out. And in fairness, they did, kind of, for the Series X and the Series S because the Series X and the Series S, we've got... Xbox Series titles, we've got Xbox One titles, we've got some 360 titles, and we've also got a handful of original Xbox titles, but they had to work them out one at a time. 
I mean, I'm sure that the, the this Xbox Two is going to fail miserably unless it can get this sorted out because I don't remember anyone saying anything positive about the Xbox Two uh, in in my lifetime, really. I do joke, of course, but it was it was kind of reminded to me recently that the reason why it's called the Xbox 360 is because they worried that calling it the Xbox Two would make it look inferior to the PlayStation Three, being that it is one number less. So they call it the Xbox 360. Ash, what do they call the console after that? The Xbox One. Weird that, isn't it? It's weird how you just change your mind on something like that. And then we've now got the Xbox Series X. I, I am genuinely excited and curious to know what comes next. <laughs> I hope it's Xbox 95. <laughs> Xbox Vista. <laughs> Xbox ME. Let's not go that bad. <laughs> But one silver lining on this Xbox news story, the petition site that they originally used went on to become change.org. But hey, look, it can't be all doom and gloom news. Surely we got some better news from Camp Nokia. Bad news uh, for Nokia this week. Oh, bad news for Xbox, bad news for Nokia. What's going on? Yeah, well, apparently it's just been revealed. Well, there's a lot of websites reporting that um, the Nokia N-Gage has had, has had its uh, security cracked, which means that a lot of the software that runs on the N-Gage... Well, now it, it will apparently will be able to run on different mobile phones, any phone using the same sort of Symbian operating system. Now, I thought that what made the Engage was so special was such because it was such a powerful machine that used a different processor from all the other phones, That's right? That's what we all thought, yeah. But it, it appears, I mean, one, one site in particular is reporting that the Siemens SX1 is capable of, capable of running Sonic M. So, I mean, that really doesn't make the Engage that special anymore, does it? I mean, this really was taking a horse with a broken leg and just breaking a second leg, really. Apparently, Gamesville had a major, major hard-on for the Nokia N-Gage. There was clearly some money exchanging hands there because they were, they were apparently bigging this up through a lot of their episodes. Uh, yeah, I thought I saw that when I was watching a couple of the other episodes. I also think I know exactly what website they were taking this information from because the Matt Sai here is talking about how, like, there's even a, a Siemens phone that can run the Sonic game that's available on the N-Gage. And I found this website that has every single one of these details in almost that exact same order. Uh, Sprong here from November 12, 2003 writes, The N-Gage game runs very well on the SX1, the site reports. You just need to transfer the game file to the MMC and use a specific application to install the game. There is no lag at all. The sound is nice, especially when using the stereo headset. Graphics are perfect. Just have to remember to press the hash key to get the game in full screen it's interesting that they make that point because like they, they've got this bit in this news article about how oh the engage is meant to have this that and the other that will make it a better games machine technically the siemens sx1 had a faster processor in it than the Nokia N-Gage. I know there's the megahertz myth and it doesn't mean everything also didn't look like someone was opening up a butthole either uh, I'm looking at it and, I mean, okay, it maybe looks like Crichton from Red Dwarf is opening up his butthole. I'll send you a picture and you'll see okay. what I mean. Oh, I sort of see what you mean. Yes, I sort of see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, the number keys are down the side, so those yeah. are Crichton's little robotic chubby fingers. Yeah, yeah. And then he's got a square charging port for yeah. the screen. I see what you're saying, yeah. Now, I presume that uh, when a human wants to recharge, they do it much the same way mechanoids do. Indeed, I have located what I presume to be the recharging socket, but for some strange reason, it doesn't appear to have the standard three-pin adaption. 
Now, do I have to use some kind of special adapter? Because no matter what I do, the lead just keeps falling out. <laughs> so it is it is a bit goatsy, but it's more rotesy. <laughs> Robot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just nice to get some engaged representation on this, including that Sonic game as well, because as we've uh, often laughed at on this show, the engage was a bit shit but um nokia have commented just recently that they're taking the reports very seriously and anyone copying their games are going to be committing serious exactly. serious we crime we don't condone that kind of thing here at no. games also be very careful well done sir but nokia luke are taking this very very seriously and anyone copying games luke they're going to be committing a crime winners don't do drugs you wouldn't steal a car you wouldn't steal a car ash <laughs> you wouldn't steal an engage you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> given the, Not given unless the option, it was for a bet. Yeah. <laughs> nice one, Daz. Now, speaking of copying, I don't want anyone trying to copy what we're about to give you because we're about to give you two great free downloadables from the World Wide Web. I didn't find them. Sarah found them because she's a freebie specialist, isn't you, Sarah? Uh, yes, I am. Yes, you um, are. I didn't actually find this one. This was a recommendation from one of our viewers. Oh, for um, real? Nick French, who's 12, who comes from Surrey, and he likes playing this one. It's a game called Smosh Strike. This is, again, a lot of that... We haven't got time for more takes here because we cut over to Jamie, who is speaking to Sarah about free games that you can download. And he says, Sarah's found all of them. And Sarah looks at him and says, well, I didn't find this one. This came from a viewer instead. Also, let's back up a second because the pussifier starts this by saying he doesn't want anyone copying these games that they're letting people know are available for free and are therefore probably being copied loads because they're being downloaded it does luke it doesn't make sense it's a it's a good link though it's, no it's, it's not it's, it is actually it is speaking of segways we're moving on to the next thing now mm. but anyway nick french from surrey has found a game called smosh strike it's a shooting game that looks like it would be running on a nokia engage yeah it's like a 1942 style shooter um sci-fi style it's a pretty simplistic game you know probably a flash style game it, it, there was a lot of like I, I had quite a bit of nostalgic sort of flashbacks to a lot of this of going on to, to new grounds and, and playing these sorts of like very simple games that you're like wow i can't believe i can just get these sorts of things for free they're not groundbreaking in any capacity but it's just cool that you can just go and play these sorts of games for now right now this, this one, one is something this i'm is getting very excited very exciting, about yes um this is hidden and dangerous and it's the full game with added extras as well lovely third person shooter there are first person shooter modes that you can play but anyone who's into tactical strategy combat this is one for sorry them. sarah did you say you get the whole game yeah the full game the full game and full it's game free online. yes for free the next game really shocked me because I was like, I've, I've heard of this game. It's for free. Yeah. And and it's because, like, it's, you're right. I had the similar thing. I was like, are you, are you, is this the game I'm thinking of? And yeah, it is. This is a, a game from, from the late 90s being released here for free. Expansion packs and all as a way to promote that a new sequel is out. I don't think this is the best way to promote a new game by basically going, here's the last game, which is essentially the same game, just a little bit less shining, but we're going to give it to you for free with all the extras included. I don't know that this fully worked as a marketing tactic. No, brave though it was, I don't think it was the the smartest move. I'm also like, again, it's that sort of lack of research on the show. They're not telling you why it's free. Or the fact that, you know, this is a game that's four years old. And, you know, four years old is not actually really that old. 
but could have been like they're doing this for free because the new game is out but hey if you're into tactical type games and shooters and strategy and whatnot go out grab it you'll like it but whatever you do luke don't copy it (laughs) i mean this is a this is a full game that's just free and as far as i can tell is still available to be downloaded now yeah, and I think people have even made patches so you can, you know, get it running under Windows 10 and all that stuff. In fact, I am amazed we haven't yet seen this, or at least a copy of the PlayStation version, on the Evercade. <laughs> now, you can see my copy walking away. It must be gadgets time. Thanks, Jay. Now, you know I love gaming, but I love a good gadget, which is why I'm talking to Sarah, and she's going to be enlightening me about two gadgets that I know I'm going to love, Sarah. I very much like the name of this segment, Inspect Your Gadget. I almost expect this to appear over the top of a pineapple. It's got that kind of flavour to it. It's It's got some real diamondism flavour to it, and I, I don't mind it at all. It was a bit of a laugh for me, and this is... And, you know, the next segment of the show where we go through some of the gadgets that you can get yourself. Some of them are a bit, you know, I, I would say the first one is a bit naff. It's it's just a, you know, it's a, it is what it is. The second, however, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think is slightly better. But we, you know, saw, saw a lot of these sorts of things back in like Series 2 and Series 3 of Games Master, where it's like, you can play your Mega Drive in the back of the car, or the the Philips CDI on the move, that sort of thing. So, uh, what's the first one? This one is the TechSet SimKey, and it's like a mini personal organiser that you can have on your keyring, but it's been designed to work with your SIM card from your phone. I do find the first gadget, the TechSet SimKey, to be a slightly curious one for me, purely because, Luke, I don't think I've ever lost my phone. I I know I have. I've, I've certainly lost one of them on a drunken night out. But that is the only time I think I've ever lost a phone. I've broken phones. Ah, I've never broken one. I see, most infamously, I, well, I say I broke a phone. I had a phone broken for me in that I was hit by a bike. And the handlebar collided with my Motorola flippy phone that was in my pocket. And the flippy phone did not survive. Oh, mate. I also did end up with a phone-shaped bruise on my upper thigh where it was such impact it just it it left it left a bruise in the shape of the phone while i've never smashed a phone on a night out once um when i was a student i was taking a photo on my uh you know old phone and it wasn't you know but it has a bit of potato quality to it i was taking a photo of it and my friend took the phone out of my hand and dropped it in my friend's pint your friend did this yeah he thought it was hilarious did he pay for a replacement? No, he did not. What a prick. <laughs> yeah, he was a bit. So yeah, this thing we've got here, the, the TechSet SIM key, it's it's 14 quid. It backs up your SIM card. You can back up your SIM card with it. And it's got different languages on it, Ash. That's it. That's the reason I felt comfortable telling that anecdote about phones <laughs> and talking about breaking phones, because I'm like, there's bugger all to say about this device. It is very much a product of its time as is this next device. Next gadgets, and these are amazing. It's a pair of gadgets which will basically turn your PS2 into in-car entertainment. You've got this screen here, it's Joytech screen, and it's lovely quality, yeah. you know, perfect. It's got really wide angles, so you can have two people watching it at the same time, playing their games, 130 degrees, so it's nice. That is um, amazing. But 
And actually, the perfect companion is this. And this is the in-car adapter, which allows you to game in the back seat of a car. So basically, you plug this bit into your PlayStation, plug this bit into the lighter in your car, The lighter and socket, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, this is a, a very Series 2, very Series 3 of Games Master. This is an item of, like... You've got your PS2. What if you could play it in the car, man? It's a, it's a really cool thing to be able to do. And yeah, it is in a way. And actually, like, you know, when you look at this and it's got a 160 degree view to it, it's not a terrible bit of gear. And 130 quid for the pair is not the worst deal in the world. I will say Joytech do make a nice little bundle out of making these because they also made them for the PS2 Slim. They made them for the GameCube. I think they probably made one for the Xbox as well. And I think they continued on. I remember seeing these for the 360 or devices like this. Yeah. I don't remember seeing them for the PS3. But seeing the design of the PS3, it doesn't lend itself to having something folded flat on top of it. No. There's a good chance they existed and they were just extra bulky because they're like, well, there's going to be void space. Deal with it. But I don't know about for a car, but for a caravan or a yeah, camper that's, van. That's what I would say, because my concern I think I would have as a parent is you're just draining my car battery with this thing. I see my concern would be Going over bumps in the road, ka-chunk, 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 disc skipping. <laughs> right, I'm in the PC lounge where we're looking at Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Now, this game is all about triumph and betrayal, and it's been brought to us by the same studio that brought us Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Could this be the new era of action-adventure? See what you think. So this is our big big review of the episode it's the thing that we've been hyping up a lot well you know that our opening gambit for this episode was about this review when we got back from the ad break this is the thing they were hyping us for this is a review of prince of persia sands of time ash i wish i'd played this game but i hadn't and i was playing the playstation 2 at this point and i was playing action adventure games as we covered in the end of series 7 against master i was a fan of tomb raider i was a big fan of the of tomb raider 2 in particular but for whatever reason prince of persia's sands of time just washed over me i definitely played this i think on the xbox the xbox or the gamecube i was a big fan of the original prince of persia I'm fairly certain I played Prince of Persia 2 as well. I didn't play the game that came before this because this was not the first 3D Prince of Persia. 1999, there was the originally titled Prince of Persia 3D. Uh, two years of development, released and bombed. It was terrible. It was not a good game because it just wasn't. Uh, it came out for the Dreamcast as well. That's not going to help matters. Yeah, but basically, much like a lot of the games featured on this show, reviews were mixed and most of the criticism focused on its gameplay. But it did result in the franchise being sold, the IP going elsewhere, and this game came out of it. It had been in development for over two years itself. Uh, Ubisoft had bought the license, and immediately, as soon as they had the license, they were like, let's get this son bitch back on the road. Let's get some money out of this. And... Despite its often comparisons to Tomb Raider, I think a lot of it was actually more influenced by film. Things like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like particularly yeah. the moves and the aesthetics and the flow of the combat. Then even like the, the running up the wall thing is kind of like a bit Matrixy. They even like yeah, say yeah, yeah. the Matrix when talking to the Panzers later. And it's 
still incredibly highly regarded to this day, to the point where it is getting a reboot slash remake. And they are, I think it's fair to say, taking it very seriously, purely based on the amount of times the thing has been delayed and put back. Because I think, I want to say the reboot was meant to come out in 2021 or 22. Yeah, and then 23. Yeah. Uh, they, they've already said it's not going to be released fiscal year of 2023. So this is now going to be a 2024 or later title. I, I hope this doesn't Chinese democracy it. I hope it's worth the wait. And like speaking of you know bringing the sun bitch back in terms of the IP and stuff, they get Jordan Mechner back on board for this. And Mechner was kind of done with Prince of Persia, did he after three D and was ready to sort of move on with stuff. But he saw what they were doing with Sands of Time and was like, yeah, no, I think I'll, I'll come back for this. And he wrote the story for it and sort of helped with the game and like that kind of spurred him back on to being really within the Prince of Persia world because him doing this is what leads him to working with the movie people to make the at the film adaptation of this which they start work in 2004 before the film is eventually released six years later in 2010 so he was working on this for quite some time and it was sands of time that brought him back into this landscape and so we you know, got to thank you got to thank the game for that if you're a fan of the movie in some sense but it is a game i just think i probably would have really liked and played a lot of but for whatever reason i i didn't and actually another game that i've never really played or really got into is assassin's creed and there are people uh you know from assassin's creed who have said that the origins of that game spun out of ideas that were originally being pitched for sequels to prince of persia sands of time it's actually quite unfortunate and maybe the reason they've delayed it is because they've seen what's happening with Assassin's Creed because the next Assassin's Creed, tonally, it's going to have a lot more in common with Prince of Persia. So maybe they saw what uh, Assassin's Creed were coming up with and they were like, shit. <laughs> in Prince of Persia, the Sass of Time, the prince returns in a 3D action adventure full of gravity-defying acrobatics ferocious fighting combos, and the ability to bend time to fulfill his destiny. This new title promises to deliver as much originality and groundbreaking technology as the original 1989 classic. Right, now Matt, I've got to be honest, I'm quite excited about this one. Um, I can't wait to get started. So tell me, I mean, how does this compare to other third-person action-adventure games out there? This, to be honest, blows everything out of the water that I've seen... Seriously? ...ever when it comes to this sort of uh, exploration, sort of running around tombs, definitely. We, know, wow. we all know that a certain game that uh, probably should have been yes. uh, like this, and, uh, yeah, this, this is fantastic. But again, we have, like, more of the various different voices doing this because we got our intro for it then we have our robot lady who's talking about some of the mechanics of this then it is matt who is playing the game he's like blows everything out of the water it's like tomb raider in all but name and really it's so much better than what tomb raider it's almost the game that tomb raider should have been and they talk about the the rewinding time mechanic of it which is one of the big selling factors of it now they're saying it's the game tomb raider should have been i'm going out on a limb and assuming they're talking not about tomb raider one two or three but tomb raider the angel of darkness which came out earlier that year and which it didn't come out to mixed reviews it came out to negative reviews uh yeah bad controls technical issues bad camera 
and it resulted in the trilogy of games that it was meant to kick off being scrapped. I believe that is the Tomb Raider game that when they showed it off at E3, it did not work and had a massive amount of egg on the face of the developers who were literally standing there showing it to games journalists and not being able to play it. But hey, it's a 5G game, Luke. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, it, it's the full five out of five here. And I guess kind of, you know, like a lot of the reviews, as you mentioned earlier, it's heavily applauded this game, you know, often considered as one of those greatest video games of all time. It, it is a huge legacy game. It's, kind of, it's almost a shame that the reboot isn't going to come out this year because it would have been quite nice for it to tie into the 20th anniversary of its release. It's cool to get it here. It's cool to see it in our timeline. And it's great to see that it is getting the, the full five marks here. Do you know what I really fancy right now? I fancy a challenge with high stakes, you know, with everything on the line where it could go either way. Now, at the moment, it's time to switch it all up a little bit. Get yourself in first gear. Make sure your driving gloves are nicely fitted because we've got two gamers with a very serious grudge. Now, one of them's in a pretty good position. Can the other one claw it back? Let's find out. So, they, you know, filmed a lot of this out of sequence, quite clearly, because the link that they use to throw to the third round of our face-off here is one of our players is in a good position. Can the other one claw it back? No. No. No, he can't. He's 2-0 down with one race to go. Technically, he can claw it back if he grows into an adult, becomes a scientist unlikely given that he seems to have difficulty with basic physics invents a time machine goes back in time assassinates marcus's parents and then ends up facing someone else or or i don't know even just going back in time to the day before and breaking marcus's thumbs then maybe he might win it would still be a bit neck and neck because again he doesn't do corners the actual time travel mechanic you need here is to go back in time and teach your other self how to play this game. It would be like Back to the Future, instead, except instead of trying to avoid sleeping with your own mother and set your dad up with her instead, it's you're going back in time and just going, no, break. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop hitting 88 miles an hour. <laughs> See that corner there? Break before it. If you just tuned in, let me fill you in on what's going on. We've got today's face of champion already after only two rounds. It's my game up, Marcus, and we are playing Group S Challenge on the Xbox. And he beat his mate actor, who is now playing for Pride in the third and final round, Jay. Uh, but they say here, look, Marcus is already the champion. So cool. What is the point of us doing this then, as to, uh, apart from to waste time? And we need to do this because it's the only way we can fill an hour's worth of TV. But Akhtar is here to play for pride rather than lose 3-0 and get whitewashed, as, as they call it on the show. He's looking to claw some dignity back on this. You know, let's talk about a little slight change of tactics here because mm. round one and two not been going too well. Now, there's a little thing called the corner. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. And, um, <laughs> it's got, like, barriers around it. Yeah, and you've yeah. got a break before you get there. Yeah, so I didn't just... see it. I'm not looking at that. Yeah? I didn't well, see that. Pay a little attention to this map here, yeah? yeah Plant your yeah, corners, yeah, that's... mate. Nice one, bruv. I think he's ready for round three. Now, I think he's going to get some pr- gonna get some pride, yeah? Yeah. Nice one. And they make fun of him about the barriers and just tell him, just break before a corner. It's all, it's all we're asking. Ash, does he do that? Oh, hell no. This guy should have been to Specsavers because this is the point when he says, I just don't see the corners. <laughs> 
And it's like, mate, they're right there at the end of the straights. Yeah. It's how the straights are connected by corners. You've played a racing game before, surely, at this point. Or, you know, just been in a car that's <laughs> gone somewhere. How did you get to the studio? Did you hover? Okay, three, two, one. Let the games begin. All right, so Marcus is in the red Mitsubishi on the bottom screen. And my boy actor, he's playing for Craig. He's in a blue Subaru and he needs round three. He does, Jamie. This is all about pride for Marcus. Now, in fairness to him, he does take the lead early doors here and he takes his first corner so badly he blocks Marcus from overtaking him. So maybe that's going to be his tactic going around this final race. I mean, it's a tactic. (laughs) Sadly, he then biffs his next corner and Marcus overtakes him. And this is getting quite tedious now because you'll never guess what happens. I wrote in my notes here, at this point, it feels like Akhtar is doing this on purpose. It's entirely possible because the lead just grows and grows and Akhtar just keeps hitting corner after corner. I then wrote in my notes, I am so tired of writing, (laughs) Akhtar takes a corner terribly. Alternative suggestion. Why not say that he's challenging the concepts of racing? (laughs) Luke. Akhtar is an avant-garde gamer. The reason why he's so he, he's really good at the straight bits is because he likes missionary games. <laughs> In, out, and put the kettle on. That's it. <laughs> None of this fancy schmancy stuff. I'm straight down the line on this one. There's a sheet with a hole cut in it, and that's all you're getting. I know we try not to punch down on kids, but by God, this one's irritating. Mark is coming up, giving the last one straight down. How you dish out a 3 0 whitewash here on Gainesville. He did it in style and he did it with a smile. His name is Marcus. Marcus, it's got to feel great. Yes, it's great. It's easy. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Marcus wins again and just says, that was not a challenge, which in fairness, it was not. But Luke, challenge isn't over. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no, it's not. Jeopardy round. <laughs> so, sorry, I forgot. We need to worry about the fucking stamp that he needs to collect or some shit. Okay. We've had a bit of fun with this. I like the final concept of facing one of the hosts. So you've won part A of the prize, but to get part B, the all-important stamp on the on part A, is you've got to beat the host that's been your backer for this whole episode. There's quite a bit of fun there. That'd have been like, if, you know, Games Master, you complete a challenge, then you've got to face Rick Henderson for it. There's some fun there with that. It's arguably the bit where, again, I'm like, there are some fun concepts here. They then interview Akhtar and say, what went wrong? And Akhtar says... Just the corners and the turning just flopped on me. Yeah. That's it. No shit, mate. <laughs> words, Luke. I have words. <laughs> I don't know what they are because I'm also aware he's a child being interviewed. We've covered this. Kids at this point weren't always the best on camera. But all the way through this... From race one, Akhtar, you really need to be breaking and dealing with the corners. Akhtar, those corners, perhaps you should break going into them. Akhtar, use the f***ing break. It's the trigger on the left. Luke, what does he never do? He 
just does not handle those corners. He does break going into the corners, or rather he breaks by going into the corners. It's almost like if you go back and watch as well, his final corner that he does, there's a bit of breaking and he takes it. He doesn't like completely smash into the barrier. It's almost like, ah, he's learning. It's it's too little too late, (laughs) but I think he's learning now. You know, give him another five races on this. He might be ready to face up a challenge. He had a good time anyway. Also, I guess basketball is better than football. And lastly, there is probably one of the worst handshakes I've ever seen in a video (laughs) gaming program. It's two fish slapping each other. Limp hand thing that I know lots of kids were doing at that time. I was young once, but it just, it, it looks kind of like, eh. It's not as cool as you think it looks. Especially not in 2023. Actar or Marcus, if by some really, really weird turn of events you hear this, I'm sorry we're being so mean to you. If you go back and look, this was really annoying to watch. We're seeing what happens in the Elite Final later on. I certainly can't wait for that one. But right now, let's go from some of the best cars in the world to the best gamer in the world. It's the one and only Thank Games you. Guru. I sense there are mortals who seek my gaming guidance. Assist them. Who needs me now? Benini Buddhas writes Guru on MBS Street Volume 2. Is there a way to unlock everything? Benny Boo, if you wish to unlock everything on this game, you must be prepared to work and actually play the game. Imagine that. We go back to the games guru for some more hints and cheats and our next one comes in from Benny Boo looking to unlock everything on NBA Street Volume 2. And again, it's that like, <laughs> you know what? Here's what you need to do. You can play the game, beat all of the modes, and that's how you unlock everything. Oh, no. You just want it all handed to you, don't you? Youth today, you entitled little monkeys. Again, of all the bits in this show that uh, like I'm warming to, the game's guru, the character, maybe it's because I am now a grumpy old man. You may have gathered by the past hour and 30 minutes. I'm just kind of like, yeah, you tell them. And give them the cheat code, but make them think about what they've done, Games Guru. Yeah. I will say NBA Streets is a great little series. I'm more familiar with V3. I played a lot of that on the GameCube. It's a fun series. It's a fun series of games. It's a kind of not quite a spiritual successor to NBA Jam, but certainly more arcadey and more fun. Yes, to kind of give that sort of feel to it. So it's not just like a traditional NBA game. Guru, I want a bigger ball in Outlaw Golf on the GameCube. Is there a way to get one? Okay, Amelia. A quick lesson in sport. Football, big ball. Golf, little ball. Football, golf. But we then get a video call. Wow, this is ahead of its time. We Yeah, this is our second video call of the episode. This one's from a lady as well who wants to get a bigger ball in Outlaw Golf on the GameCube. I love that we go away from entitlement here to, you do understand the basics of how golf works. Golf ball, small. Football, far away. <laughs> I own Outlaw Golf. I, I remember buying it for $15 in America because I already had the region unlocker for the GameCube and I bought it for $15. And it's one of those few games I bought at that discount in America where I got a modicum of buyer's remorse. It ain't a great game. Yeah, it's very much like, you know, what if BMX Triple X, but with golf. And they did a couple of these, didn't they? You know, there was like, I think there was a volleyball one or there was a tennis one or something. It found some semblance of a market. Uh, 
And this is a, a fun little cheat, I guess, just to make your golf ball a little bit bigger. Diamondism. Diamondism. Uh, yeah, there was a whole bunch of them. Uh, funny story, I did actually own a BMX XXX. Did you now? I won it. <laughs> I won it, and I played it for like a week, and I'm like, oh, this, this game's tits and not in a good way. It's, it's, it's not the tits, it's just tits. I took it to Part Exchanger in, and they wouldn't take it. <laughs> it wasn't even a case of 99p like your store did. It was just like, no. No, can't sell this on. We have standards. <laughs> Matt Hoffman wants nothing to do with this game, and neither do we. I genuinely think I ended up throwing it away at some point, because I'm just like, no one wants this game. Why would they? You ET'd on the Atari 2600 it. <laughs> I, I really did. <laughs> What if Tony Hawk's, but nudity? What if Tony Hawk, but sexy? No, let's just go with nudity, <laughs> because sexy is a reach. Guru, I feel more and more enlightened every time I hear your voice, my friend. Cheers. Now, if you want to feel enlightened, you know what to do. Send your emails to guru at gamesville.tv. And UK Digital Satellite viewers, you can also get in on the action. Just press that red button on your remote. It's as simple as that. It is indeed. Now, still to come, everyone's favourite dog, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, will be making his appearance on your GBA. <laughs> Stick to your representing, Jake. Not very good impression, mate. And Chrome tries to outshine Halo in our futuristic first-person shooter, Clash of the Titles. It's going to be a big one. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the break. James Bond. Back in service. Back in action. Magnificent view. Die another day. Coming soon to Sky Box Office. When double bubbles two separate liquids mix together, they instantly transform into masses of lovely creamy bubbles. Where will your bath time take you? Where is the it's bigger than ever. Now 56. 43 massive hits. An incredible seven number ones. The best just got better. Now 56. That's what I call music. On this island, temptation pushed Damien and Anna to the edge, drove Nicole and Tommy wild with jealousy, fueled Billy and Mandy's outrageous behavior, inflamed Sam's and Richard's raunchy antics, and taught Shannon and John to live to love another day. All new island, all new series. Can our four new couples resist temptation? Can you resist watching? All new Temptation Island, tonight, nine o'clock, Sky One Sunday. greatest gaming show on your TV. Now, if you've just joined us, you've missed loads of the show and you don't want to do it again. But don't worry, because we've got loads more coming up. Blanda Cage welcomes us back to the best gaming show on television. I mean, I, I let a couple of those go, but that one's very good. I'm working through Vin Diesel's entire filmography. Luke, it's shallower than you might think. <laughs> I thought there's going to be loads of character names I can use for this. There really isn't. There's, there's less than you think. But anyway... We've got Retro Table up soon. Scooby-Doo's here as well. Yeah, I think we should have built to Prince of Persia rather than, you know, saving everything for Scooby-Doo at the end here. 
they they peaked early. They, they, I feel like they did peak a bit early, having Prince of Persia, you know, the halfway mark. It's time to jump into our battle suits because it's time for our alien clash of the titles. Now, this was sent in by a beautiful little gamer. Her name is Julie from Stockport, and she wanted to know which is the best, Chrome or Halo? Well, Julie, you're about to find out. Julie from Stockport <laughs> wants to know which is better, Halo or Chrome? I mean, I do use Chrome every day, and I don't think I've actually really played a Halo game, so I'm picking Chrome on this one. In fairness, like, you know, though we are sort of uh, making some slight jokes here, Microsoft Cortana is named after the thing from Halo. Microsoft have definitely embraced the money that Halo's bought them, but... This is, I mean, it's a difficult game to Google, but it is a blink-and-you'll-miss-it type game. There's a few notable aspects around this game, the main two of which, I suppose, being that it was um, written entirely in Java. That's, that, that's kind of cool. You know, I mean, it does also mean that the source code could be extracted from the game. And the other being that it was the first kind of, like, big action game developed in Poland to get an international release to get some big old press pretty good it's pretty cool it's a good accolade for them um unfortunately mixed reviews across the board as was style at the yeah, time as was the style at the time <laughs> so it's kind of unfair to be placing this up against halo you know which is you know one of the biggest games and so unsurprisingly halo can sort of trounces uh poor old chrome here but yeah like it's halo is a game that i have seen more of red versus blue than i've actually played <laughs> halo myself i think i have played halo once maybe twice on multiplayer alone and that is the extent of my halo game playing i've not played any of the sequels i think it would have been halo 2 in fact no i played uh halo i played some local multiplayer halo because i had a friend living with me that also had an xbox and I played a bunch of Halo 2 online also against that same person. And that was mainly us just fart assing around, having a good bit of a giggle. And, and I think with Halo 3 as well, just like driving the vehicles really, really badly, crashing them, killing each other by rolling over. It was fun. Much like you, I watched a lot of Red versus Blue. Those original couple of series were... They were something fresh. They were something very original. They were Incredible. something... I mean, obviously, with Rooster Teeth, there's a... Oh, God, there's all sorts of stuff we don't want yeah. to go into. But when I think back to the earlier times of the first couple of seasons of Red versus Blue and the interactions, it was really, really extraordinary to the point where I don't think I've got them anymore, but I did have the first couple of seasons on DVD. Yeah, and I it the was the same thing. It was mind-blowing that... This, this this TV series made in a video game was being released on DVD. Yeah, I, I still couldn't quite wrap my head around it. I can remember seeing it for the first time around a friend's house because he had them on DVD. And yeah, just watching a web series being made straight from the video game itself really did blow my tiny mind. I, I've got a lot of fond memories of going around to my friend's house to watch those. I mean, my, my favourite Halo uh, sort of factoid or you know thing about halo is when they were pitching the halo movie microsoft paid alex garland to write a script and alex garland wrote a script that was the halo game on the big screen it was like from start to end we followed the exact same plot points of the video game they then sent out six couriers dressed as master chief to the six major hollywood studios at the exact same time 
with a pre-warning of get all of your studio heads into the same room at this time. The script was delivered to them all at the same time and Microsoft said, you've got a couple of hours to read this script. First one to make us this offer gets the script. You've got to applaud the balls. Absolutely. And it worked because Fox and Universal agreed to co-pro it. It shows how high on themselves Microsoft were, and I applaud them for it. Like, there aren't many studios that would take that kind of approach. I mean, back here, we are still kind of like, I guess, in the the, the kind of the build-up to Halo 2, if anything, and therefore there are a lot of pretenders to the throne, and Chrome is the latest one of those. In fact, I do wonder, is, is the reason it got that major international release because publishers were going, we need some of that Halo? yeah. You know, we've been talking about those with the, the Tony Hawk's pretenders of just like, what if Tony Hawk's put on a skateboard? Or, or what if Tony Hawk put on a bike? What if Tony Hawk put on a, an inline scooter? I, I think that's what this is. Like, what if Halo but from Poland? And while the game didn't set the world alight, it is worth saying that the company behind it, Techland, did go on to quite a bit of success. In fact, Dying Light 2 uh, only came out last year, an open world survival horror game. Ooh, that's original. They've done absolutely, they've done fine for themselves. The Dying Light series, Call of Juarez, Torment, and also the Chrome Engine, which powered a lot of their games and evolved over time, which started with this very game. The only game to beat this is Halo 2. G-Team, give us your verdict. Uh, this is quite a tough one. Chrome, it's, it's got more weapons, it's newer, it's got better graphics, it's got very good AI, it's got more vehicles. At the end of the day, it's just, it's just copying Halo, isn't it? Halo wins it. Anyway, they throw over to the G team. Okay, here are the two games. What do you make of them? And they say what we've kind of just said, which is, it's Halo. It's good, but it's a Halo clone. In fact, I'm kind of amused because they do really big it up. They go, well, it's got more weapons, more vehicles, more this, more that. And then just go, but it's a Halo clone, so f*** it. <laughs> <laughs> You're picking Halo. Halo is today's Clash of the Titles winner. You're right, mate. Hey. Oh, we've got a result, yeah? <laughs> Don't Sorry, try it. Just just engrossed me so much. I just couldn't get off it. Sorry, Des. Tell you what, Jamie's not having a good day at the office as well. He's 0 for 2 in his head-to-head competitions. But he also gets to show his acting. Pause for laughter. Right, handheld gamers, pay attention because I've got something very special for you. Now, if you're a Scooby-Doo fan, you're going to like our next game, right, sir? Yeah, definitely. So what it's are we a real at? Scooby-Doo fan. It's Scooby-Doo Mystery Mayhem. Okay. I mean, this next segment that we get here, this next review uh, in the, the mobile pad, you, we had that quote earlier from the Wikipedia that was just like, games that really shouldn't be given you know, prominent space were... And oftentimes there were segments that just had to be stretched out as much as they possibly could do because we had to fill an hour. That sums up this review of Scooby-Doo Mystery Mayhem, which is a 30-second review spread out over a couple of minutes where poor old Sarah does not have a lot to say about this game. In fact, really, the only thing she has to say about this game is if you like the cartoon you'll like the game. Actually, you probably won't. It's not a good game in any of its iterations, really. It did get, though, those mixed reviews. <laughs> of course it did. Well, from cartoon capers to some retro cartoon capers, it's time to check out what's going on the retro table. Right, let me give you a little task to do. Go and find your nearest dictionary and look up the word retro, and you're probably going to see this gentleman's face 
right next to it. But Luke, it's 2003. Retro is a thing now. Yeah, this, like, I kind of like this little, you know, bizarre segment of the show, which is we have Matt, who is sort of like the, the retro guy uh, of the, the G team, to just tell you about an old game for no reason other than here is a game. Good old Popeye, yeah? Good old Popeye, yeah. Uh, what you have to do in this game is you have to collect the hearts and the musical notes and the, and the help signs that, uh, that uh, <laughs> Olive Oil, the help signs that uh, Olive Oil would, would throw out. And of course you cool. have to avoid Bluto as well, who is after you, that big hairy big old man. Now, this is Popeye, Nintendo's Popeye. And I think we've talked about this in the past. If you've watched any kind of gaming historian or game history videos about Donkey Kong, you know the history of Nintendo and Popeye and Donkey Kong and Jumpman and how all of those are intermixed. And I'm fairly certain in 2003, this knowledge was not uncommon. So, Luke, it would be the obvious thing to bring it up as part of this. I did think that it's weird that it's not brought up. Or even referenced. Because that's the thing that everyone would say. Like, well, as soon as Popeye comes up, I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, Donkey Kong. Because, it, you know, if, if you're unaware, broad history or brief history is, Donkey Kong was originally supposed to be a Popeye game. Donkey Kong is Bluto, Daisy is Olive Oil, and Jumpman is Popeye. They couldn't get the rights to Popeye, so instead they put a, a new IP over the top of it, which became Donkey Kong, then, ironically, got the rights to Popeye and made a game based on Popeye a year later, which in itself then became part of the Donkey Kong franchise because Donkey Kong Jr. Maths has bits of Popeye in there. There's some very easy links that you can make here, but they just sort of just say, well, it's like the cartoon, really, and I wouldn't recommend you play it because it's too hard. But then says... Ah, but it's worth a look if you're a Popeye fan. Also, I want to say this is an early example of emulation being shown on TV because they've got this, they've got their retro table. It's one of the cocktail cabinets and it's shown playing an awfully broad variety of games. And I reckon a lot of those games are running MAME under the hood. Mm. And obviously we briefly just touched now upon the history with Mario and the history with Donkey Kong and Popeye and stuff. Do you know what the three launch titles were for the family computer in Japan? Popeye was one of them, right? It was Popeye yeah. and Donkey Kong. And Donkey Kong Jr. Yeah. <laughs> what a choice. You want to talk about launch lineups? Holy hell, you could have Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong, or Donkey Kong that eats spinach. <laughs> and one of my favourite things about this is that Matt talks about how you've got to eat the spinach before you can fight Bluto, and they display that by having someone eat the spinach and then fail to actually reach Bluto to fight him. Because Bluto, much like the ghosts in Pac-Man, runs the hell away because he's not stupid. He's been down this road before. He gets the crap beaten out of him every week. Totally. And uh, it just shows our player falling down and missing his opportunity. And they end this segment by going, whatever happened to Popeye? Where are you now? Popeye, if you're out there, your family are worried. Write in. Let us know. And funnily enough, the very next year, there was a computer animated television special produced for 2004 by Lionsgate called Popeye's Voyage, where Popeye was voiced by Billy West. So where's Popeye? He's in post-production. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Pluto, set a course for shipwreck rock in the sea of mystery. But there are sirens and sea serpents and monsters there. It's the sea hag's well. I can't believe you believe them unbelievable stories, Pluto. Do you think he then emailed the boys at gamesville.tv? 
I'm in post-production. XOXO. This game, though, did not go away because, apparently, it was reimagined for the Nintendo Switch with 3D graphics, and it was just called Popeye. It didn't even get mixed reviews. It just got bad reviews. It was a bad game. The graphics were bad. The gameplay was bad. The music was bad. Luke... It was bad. Matt, just like to say a huge thank you, mate, for sharing your retro knowledge with us. Remember, pick up a dictionary, look up the word retro, you're probably going to see his face. But if you want to meet our next gentleman in a dictionary, you're going to have to look up the word wisdom. And you know whose face that's going to be. It's the one and only Games Guru. Pastor Guru. If you were to look up stylish and handsome, you would also see this face. Speaking of bad we throw to the games guru dot 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 again this is more of that we're just stretching out for time now because we've got an hour's worth of content to fill because our next two bits that we get here are not hints they're not cheats they're not tips one of which is a little bit of history and the second of which is just speculative nonsense who wishes to ask the guru Fabian Jarrett, as he writes, Guru, is it true that you could play NES online? P.S. You rock. Fabian, I am aware that I rock. However, you have asked about the NES playing online. It's a strange idea. An 8-bit console from the 80s going online. But it's true. I will say the bit of history I enjoyed. Because the first bit being, can you play Nintendo online? And he's like, oh, yeah, the NES did go online. He talks about Japan and stuff like that. It's a very, very brief look at what was known as the Family Computer Network System. But I thought that was kind of cool because, yes, obviously the internet existed and you would be able to find that. But search engines weren't all that at the time. And it is a very cool little snippet, I think, of gaming history to the point where we could have dumped the second part of this Games Guru section and just expanded it out a bit, maybe with a few clips, a few more pictures. I think that's what I would have liked because I don't think there's enough in here to qualify this as an interesting tidbit. While, you know, me here as a viewer watching this show that's 20 years old with 2023 eyes know of Nintendo's history with online gaming, what he says in this sort of 30 seconds here doesn't really give you any context of anything. Other than it's just there to highlight that the PS2 is online, the Xbox is online, and the GameCube isn't. And it's kind of hilarious that 20 years later, and actually, the <laughs> well, the Nintendo Switch does have online play and does have online components. The priorities of online play with Nintendo is about the same. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I still gravitate more towards Nintendo consoles than I do anything else. Yo, Guru, will there ever be any PS2 games which have Nintendo characters in them? Barry Cohen. Barry, a few years ago I would have dismissed this question out of hand and ridiculed you for asking. However, I never expected to see a Sega game on a Nintendo console. It is highly unlikely that Nintendo will ever make games for the PS2, 3, 4, 5, 6, or 7. However, one day they may do a Sega and make games only. The second bit, the speculative bit, the asking if a PS2 game will ever feature Nintendo characters in them, 
Um, it is entirely speculative, but I think at the time when Sega had just ducked out of the hardware market and Sega characters were making their way to other platforms, it wasn't the worst answer he could have given. It's just more example of them stretching out what little content they have to fill an hour's worth of TV. Because, like, and again, this is not really the fault of the production. It's just that this was the request that was made of them by Sky. They've got to do this every day. And there is a finite amount of content that you can actually put out in 190-odd episodes. So sometimes you have to make up something from Barry, who says, will Nintendo characters be on PlayStation games? And just sort of be like, probably not. But hey, we didn't think it would happen with Sega, so it could happen, I guess. Because it's the face-off finale. This is the time when we really do separate the men from the mice. Yeah, we get a lot of good gamers here at Gainesville, but we don't get many elite gamers. And that's what my boy is trying to do. Marcus is trying to get an elite stamp right about, I don't know, here. But to do that, he's got to take on Daz and Group S Challenge on the Xbox in a face-off. Well, here we are. It's our face-off finale. And we're going to separate the men from the mice as Marcus is looking to get that all-important elite stamp nothing to do with the game elite no it's not this is just playing that same game again and marcus is actually riding pretty high with his confidence levels because well he's three and oh on his last three races so i think he's he's on a good course here to face off against daz even though he has made countless errors in his three victories that he's had thus far. He's slightly better at corners. We'll we'll give him that, you know, and he's been consistent in being okay at corners. Right, I'm about to get this on. Will we get an elite stamp here? There's only one way to find out. Pads in hands, gentlemen. Daz, you ready? Yeah, mate. Marcus, you ready? Yeah. Audience, are we ready? Yeah! Okay, three, two, one. Let the games begin! One of the interesting things about watching this final challenge here is that Darren immediately switches to the first-person view and is comfortable playing this game and knows exactly what he's doing here. He's also doing a fair amount of screen-watching and knowing where Marcus is behind him to block him when he's trying to overtake. It is a tactic. It is a valid tactic. They could have masked off the screen if they wanted to. It's absolutely, and I don't begrudge him for it because it's the way that the screens are set up. But it does lead me to my question. Because what happens now is that Darren just storms off and Marcus is left to sort of flounder and and take corners badly. And that brings my big question. Was Marcus good or was Akhtar just shite? I think Marcus was okay. I think Darren has played this game. And Um, not just preparing for this. I think Darren is actually a bit of a gamer. Maybe not like a diehard gamer. Maybe not kind of like a, a, certainly not a professional games journalist. But I think he knows his way around an Xbox controller. Yeah, totally. Absolutely does. And he certainly knows his way around this game. As I said, like the, the second he switches to first person view, I was like, yeah, he not only knows this game enough on how to play it, he knows this game enough to know what his comfortable way of playing it is. Looking real good, mate. Looking real good. Keeping it real smooth. And looking 
But unfortunately, because Darren is playing, it means that Jamie is doing commentary on his own. And this is where it becomes abundantly clear that this man is not built to be doing commentary for video games. I felt bad for him. It's not his forte, but it isn't. It's really quite bad. It makes you really appreciate how good Dominic Diamond was at his job. What can I say? A driving specialist does give the nation a few words, man. Listen, man, this is a guy that gave me a very good race. It was mad close. You put me under some serious pressure, Marcus. Top game. Serious pressure. And in the post-match, Darren says that Marcus put him under some pressure, which is quite the lie because he didn't. But it means that Marcus wins the day, but doesn't really win the day. He still gets his certificate. He just doesn't get the little stamp on it. So he doesn't go home completely the winner. But they still say you're the face-off champion. Look in that camera, my friend, and tell the nation what you have to do to be a face-off champion. How'd you do it, boss? Well, you have to just pick a fast car and be able to control it. Absolutely. Be able to control it. That's the key word. And you were able to control it. You did very, very well. He gets an A. He doesn't get an A star. I think it's just a bit of a lame way to end out the show because you're big sort of you're you're still saying oh this kid is the winner he's the winner of the day but but i just watched him lose do you know what i'd have done with this is i would have maybe made it so it's three rounds and each round has a prize first round lowest stakes the prize is some t-shirts whatever second round maybe it's like a, a walkman or something third round it's an xbox it's a ps2 it's a cluster of games and then, you know, you either, even if you just win one round, you're walking away with something. But then, whoever won most of the rounds at the end, they can go the bullseye route. Ah, and they put can put the it all on the line for Gamesville Star Prize. And yeah. that's when they have to take on, take on the host. I think because the show is an hour long, you have to have that fourth challenge just to fill the time out. So I feel like you almost have to make the fourth round mandatory. But yeah, I like that idea of it is now on the line to win the extra bonus thing. Or like, you know, maybe there's two two prizes on offer. One of which is a guaranteed prize. Like if you win, you get this. Or if you put all of your prizes on the line, you get everything plus this other even ooper duper super thing. Now, I've got to tell you, this is my worst part of the show because it's the end. I know, dude. I know. I hate it when it gets to this time. But you know what? The fun doesn't stop for UK digital satellite viewers. By a simple press of the red button, you can get gaming. Yes, you can get gaming. You can get hints, cheats, and tips from the great man upstairs, the one and only guru, and there's lots, lots more to get involved with. Just press the button and you see what I mean. Absolutely. Now, as Jay said, that is the end of the show. But you know where to come for the best in hardcore gaming action! But that about wraps it up, and Dominic Cornetto is sad that it's over. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, he's sad to be over, but hey, press that red button, and there's more Gamesville fun to be had. It should be pointed out that actually a number of times throughout this episode, they have been busy promoting that, you know, you can go and you can click here, and they're showing all these different people asking for hints and tips and, like, getting responses. And it's an entirely visual thing, and... It looks quite cool, but I'm certain there's money spinning going on in there and there's premium rate numbers being advertised. <laughs> it's a very Sky thing. Yeah, I mean, even like there are games to be played. And I just sort of wonder, like, you know, at, at what cost are these games? But there you are, Ash. That is an episode of Gamesville for us to review. It was, yeah, my first 
interaction with uh, with the world of Gamesville. I agree with what you said earlier. I think there is the skeleton of a good show within Gamesville, uh, and that skeleton is not an hour long, and it is not an everyday thing. And I think it would have benefited from some better hosts. It would have benefited from some tighter production. It would have benefited from just a tighter a tighter concept, I feel. There's a lot of things just feel like missing or lacking. It is annoying. Like the hosts are, a, you know, a little bit annoying. No, no disrespect to them, but they are quite annoying. They are appealing to an audience that is not me. It's not, and that's not what makes it annoying. Is I think it's like the, the delivery and the attitude is sort of what makes it annoying. But it is very of its time because I worked with people like I, I worked with people who did talk and sound like this and did have that sort of cadence when I was working at Sainsbury's around this sort of time. So this actually actually made me quite nostalgic for that Ali, the, the thing that Ali G was parodying when yeah. he was when he was doing his TV shows and when he was doing stuff on you know not the eleven o'clock show. So there was kind of like uh, there was some sort of nostalgic feelings there. At least sort of took me back to a certain time frame. But as a show itself, in the uh, the second half really dragged when it was just like here's another segment, here's another segment, going back to the Games Guru, watching the same four races, it did drag somewhat. There were bits that I enjoyed in this. The more I watched of it, the more I was just like, yeah, I like the Games Guru. I think this is a fun character. I I kind of like his slightly creepy, aloof nature. It is actually very much in line with the Games Master and the Consultation Zone. And um, I, I mean, there is an element, I suppose, of Namrud there, but actually I think I prefer the character to Namrud. I, I think he's much more palatable. Yeah, I kind of said earlier in the show, it's like it's their version of Games Master slash Namrud, but it's, I, I, if I was to rank them, I think I would have Games Master, Games Guru, Namrud. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. And again, I'm sure the hosts are lovely guys. We did the kind of whole Dexter thing at the beginning. They they just like at no point did they really endear themselves to me at I all. Don't think they're charismatic enough to carry the show, and as and a show that's an hour long, you need a really dynamic hosts. You know, Rab carries an hour's worth of Games Master because he has got presence about him. I don't think these two lads have got the presence for an hour long show that's daily as well. They needed a third host. They needed a third person. So when they just finished doing the face-off, one of them didn't just have to walk off across the studio. They could throw to a third person. And then you can mix and match. And sometimes it's, you know, A and B doing the face-off. Sometimes it's A and C or B and C. You know, you, you mix it around. You know, whatever our issues with it are, whatever the issues the gaming community of the time had with it, it did well enough to run for 190 episodes. They did all right after this. They got two years on TV. You know, Bits didn't get 190 episodes. Thumb Bandits, Gamepad didn't get 190 episodes. Games Master didn't get 190 episodes. These guys did. So it met the needs of their target audience. It met the ratings requirements of Sky. It was on budget. It was delivered on time. Therefore, at some base level, and it pains me to say it, it was successful at what it set out to do, which was to be a daily video games-based TV show. I think we can say this is the most successful post-Games Master show we've reviewed thus far. 
Based on episode numbers, certainly. So, but yeah, based on hitting its criteria and and setting out and completing what it set out to do, I think we could probably say it is, it's the most successful one. And credit to it, it's not for me though. It's Thumb Bandits is still my number one, I feel at the moment. It's the one I've enjoyed the most. But I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat in real time, chat with us, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming and pop culture, retro and new, you can do so over on our Discord or by tuning in to my mostly regular Twitch streams where I've been playing some WWE 2K23 and by the time you hear this I will have commenced stinking up the Street Fighter 6 lobbies <laughs> of the world and I hope you can tune in and watch me play as I continue to play Street Fighter 6 and more importantly I hope you can join me and kick my ass. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod to get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. If you back it to the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get all of that and a little bit extra, including your name read out in the credits like these fine folk. Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Greenwood, Andy Smith, Arcadia Wild, Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin, David White, David Palmer, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Lincoln, Luke, Mark, Maddie Boo, Misha, Nick, Bill, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Rich Pemberton, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean Dunn, Selena Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S. William Zanderthal, and Zach. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. I'll tell you what. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires call 800-334-KIA for details always drive safely sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only quantities are limited must take delivery by 7824